After about a week's worth of vacation, we are back. We're continuing our prospect series. And this week, we're going to talk about four more teams, how they've done this offseason, what they still need to do, and how they look heading into a fresh new hockey lineup. Episode 282 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. All four of our teams this week, Brett, start with the C. We will go by order Calgary, Carolina, Chicago, Colorado. Yeah. And uh, we'll start with the Flames this time around. And uh, they, I think out of this group, they didn't do the most, but they've certainly done some things to shake up their roster yep. and possibly moving forward, uh, they might not be done. Yeah, I, I I think I know where you're getting at because there's been rumors forever that Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan are both going to be leaving the, the team pretty soon, and so their future is in jeopardy. Johnny Gaudreau is going to be a UFA next year. Um, and it will be interesting because I think it's been like rumored that he wants to go to Philadelphia or um, he's going to just probably go somewhere in the East Coast or something like that. But uh, we'll see. And um, it's just something needs to shake out. Sean Monaghan also had a pretty bad season, too. So um, so maybe it's just like a change of scenery for those guys. And then you just kind of like get all this stuff in. Um, however, um the Calgary Flames did win the Blake Coleman sweepstakes that Steve had been teasing all throughout the uh, playoffs because uh, uh, Steve was just, just in case everyone was uh, uh, didn't listen, uh, Steve had pretty much suggested every team should go out and get Blake Coleman. Um, at least two-thirds of the league. At least yeah. two-thirds. Uh, so he ended up signing with Calgary it was a, a six-year deal, uh, four worth four point nine million uh, per year um, annual average value, um, and you know what's weird. I, I guess this makes sense. He he is a good depth guy, and he is, um, and maybe he'll be in the top six or stuff like that. But what's interesting about this this team for him or this fit for him is that, like, I don't know if like Calgary's necessarily like a playoff team or contending team. So it's like, I don't know if it necessarily helps them a whole lot. Um, of course he's a great player, um, and all that stuff. And he's a good supporting cast, but like, like I just mentioned, Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan seem to be on the way out. Um, Matthew Kachuk, you, you never really know with that guy. He could be suspended. Uh, they don't, I mean, we're about to get into, they're losing their, they lost their captain in Mark Giordano. Um, and um, it just it seems like this, this team is in free fall where I wouldn't be surprised if they even missed the playoffs. Um, so, so it's like a weird um, mix of things there. And, um, and that, that move is a, it's a long-term contract. It, it's his, um, I think when I'm looking at the cap friendly page, um, there's only one player that has a contract from 2026 to 
2027 season, and that's Blake Coleman. Um, and everyone else is, like, not under contract. I guess the closest is Markstrom and Rasmus Anderson. I mean, everyone else is just, um, it's, it's unclear of where they'll be. But, um, yeah, what do you think of this Blake Coleman move? I should also mention on the Blake Coleman front, uh, he has a no-trade clause in the first three years. And then once we get to the final three, he's got a 10-team trade list. Oh, wow. So uh, basically two-thirds of the league he can veto a trade. Right. So uh, I guess that premium cap hit comes with a cost. Um, the highest it gets is $5.9 million. That's in year three. And it's mostly base salary. There's only a million dollars signing bonus this year. And that's pretty much it. So it's it's a manageable cap hit, but it all depends on his role. Because let's let's remember the situations that Blake Coleman was in. Blake Coleman was a very serviceable winger on line two or line three on a offensively challenged Devils team. I think it's fair to say that offensively yeah, challenged. And he put up, all things considered, he put up very good numbers. Like the shots on goal were in the 200s, you know, 15, 20, 25 goals again on, on that Devils team. Pretty good. You figure you put him on a team like Tampa Bay with all this weaponry, all this talent, and you can form a solid second or third line. And that third line of Barkley Goudreau, Blake Coleman, and Yanni Gord was so revered by the Tampa Bay coaching staff, by John Cooper in particular, absolutely loved that line. And a lot of the league started to take notice on all three of those guys. We saw the kind of contract, the kind of dollars that Barkley Goudreau recently got with the Rangers. Um, we'll talk about in another episode, obviously. Um, but I think Blake Coleman definitely has the most underrated talent, the underrated skill set out of that group. But what's his role going to be? Yeah. Because we talked about Calgary when they got Elias Lindholm in the fold. They have a lot of left wingers. You have Matthew Kachuk, who is a winger. You have Johnny Gaudreau, who is a winger. And guess what? Blake Coleman can play both sides, left and right, of the wing. So now where do you put him on the Flames' offense? And I think that's going to factor into his offensive production moving forward. I think this contract could be a very sizable bargain if he gets a solid role on the second line and produces consistently – 50 to 60 points a year. That would be a good bargain for Blake Coleman, 20 to 25 goals even with um, with with the amount of offensive depth that Calgary needs. And they also have guys like Andrew Mangiapane, who had a great world yeah. championships with Canada. He really impressed some people. Um, you have a guy like Trevor Lewis um, coming in as a depth player. Same with Tyler Pitlick, too. Um I just wonder how the leadership is going to affect everything more more than just Blake Coleman. Um, as you mentioned, Brett, losing their captain, Mark Giordano, even entering his 40s, that's a tough loss yeah. for Calgary to fill. And the rhetoric before the, all of that happened was the leadership. A lot of people weren't so sure if the leadership in Calgary was stable enough, if they had what it took from a leadership standpoint, from – an overall team standpoint to really get any far or to get as far as they wanted to. 
and I don't think that changes now that Giordano is gone. Um, I definitely think Blake Coleman adds to that with his two Stanley Cup rings, but there's only so much he can provide. And there, the bigger picture, um, if, if they can't find it in the locker room, they're going to have to make some moves. Yeah, it is interesting now that you think about it because it, it does feel like Calgary has so many left-wingers. I mean, they, they have two good left-wingers in Goudreau and Kachuk, um, and then you add in Blake Coleman. It's just like, it is strange, like maybe Blake Coleman moves to the right wing, maybe you move Kachuk or you move Goudreau to the right side. I don't know um, how tough it is or which one can transition to the other side as well, but... Uh, maybe you do something like that, but it is interesting how like they get another left winger, which almost makes you think that maybe they don't plan on signing Johnny Gaudreau long term because they just got their their guy or you know the guy to complement Matthew Kachuk um, on the left side, and they also have Milan Lucic, who's another left winger, but obviously he's not as good as. Uh, the other three guys I just mentioned. So it's interesting that it seems like they have a lot of good left wingers. They have okay centers, but um, and they don't really have a right winger other than I guess Elias Lindholm. Um, and, now take this with the yeah. with the grain of salt there, Brett. But I'm looking at daily faceoff right now. Yep. This is what they have as the units, and a lot to be disagreed here. But nevertheless, the first line consists of Elias Lindholm down the middle. With Johnny oh, Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk playing the wings. Goudreau oh, on the left side, Kachuk on the right. Interesting. Okay. Line two. Line two has Blake Coleman as a right winger. Oh, okay. Andrew Mangiapane as the oh, left that's winger. Right. That's another one who's a left winger, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mikhail Backlund as the second line right. center. Leaving Sean Monaghan as the third line center oh. with Dylan Dubé on the left side and Tyler Pitlick on the right side. And then uh, you have Lucic on the fourth line with uh, Brett Ritchie as a right winger and Trevor Lewis as the fourth line center. I'm more so, surprised they have Sean Monahan as the yeah, third line center. That's why I mentioned it, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, again, so I don't know if you can really like, take that. I mean, it's it's the middle of August, so I don't know if you can really take that for what it's worth. But, um, but yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. So, I, again, I'm, I'm curious to see how they structure the offense yep. there, and I'm sure the future of Johnny Goudreau is obviously going to play a factor. There was also rumblings that Matthew Kachuk, um, that incident with Jake Muzzin, I think, was kind of the breaking point that I think looking back kind of put Calgary in a bit oh, yeah. of a downward spiral, and there was reported maybe some sort of division in the locker room there. Um, people on one side of, you know, well, Kachuk had every right to do that, and others were just like, yeah, did he really, though? Um, And and, and I think that kind of division, again, that leads to the question of, okay, who are the leaders on this team, who are the passengers, and who's getting moved out? And while Kachuk might be an RFA, He's an RF. He's a pending RFA currently making seven million dollars. He's going right. to cost as much money as Johnny Hockey is. So um, you, you kind of wonder what Matthew Kachuk's future is in Calgary. I think it's not dead in the water. And then again, Johnny Goudreau's isn't either. But um, both of them are going to need new contracts at the same time, and right. uh, Calgary is going to have a lot of that to answer. Sean Monahan isn't in that same position, but. 
Last year was just so underwhelming. He has to have a bounce back campaign. There's, there's no excuse. Last year was uncharacteristic for him. Yeah, I, I expect he'll be better. I mean, also you have to take into account that Daryl Sutter's the coach there. Um, I'm sure he like you know it was a little bit unfair of him to like because he came in like about with ten games left in the season, so that's kind of tough to like uh, like uh, like make all the changes you would need um, in that in that time period. So it will be under interesting to see how Daryl Sutter fits into this new mold. Um, also, in terms of additions, uh, Calgary, they got a, they traded a 2022 third round pick, uh, which happened to be Toronto's third round pick to Chicago, and they get Nikita Zadorov. Uh, they end up signing him for a one year, $3.75 million. Um, I also talked about this last week. They get uh, Daniel Vladar from, uh, from Boston, um, and they give up their own 22 third round pick. Um, and then another 22 pick that they gave up was to uh, the Seattle Kraken, uh, which was a fourth round pick, um, and that uh, and they get Tyler Pitlick in, in that trade as well. So those are like the three picks, and they yeah it's interesting like even still even after trading those third round picks and fourth round picks, um, they still have their first round pick next year. They have a uh, second round pick. Uh, next year, and they have Florida's pick. I think that's in the Sam Bennett trade, um, if that makes sense. If I, mm-hmm. I'm looking here. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, so, so they still have like three picks in the first two rounds of um, of 2022. So they still have that, but they still end up getting a couple of guys um, that could could make some impact on their team. Um, I think Tyler Pitlicks will be like a, a good depth player for them. Uh, he's a center mostly, but I think he also plays on the wing. Um, and then Daniel Vladar will probably be a good stopgap for Jacob Markstrom. I think um, he he has had pretty good numbers in Providence, although he had a pretty bad year this year. But I'll I'll probably take that with a grain of salt, considering the pandemic and stuff. Um, it's hard, to, and, and he's a goalie. You never really know with goalies. But uh, Daniel Vladar should be good for Calgary, I would imagine. What's interesting, though, is that, like, Jacob Markstrom um, has a six-year deal, um, and then you have um, Daniel Vladar as well, and then uh, Dustin Wolf is also in the mix, too, because he played a little bit in Stockton this year. He wasn't as good, but he'll probably needs a couple of refinement but eventually he'll be uh coming up and and be um probably one of their like 1b players for them but probably not this year um so so yeah we'll we'll see about that but um but yeah it's um uh, not not too bad and yeah i don't hate the nikita zadorov pick either um he's not a terrible player by any means but um but yeah it's, it's not like anything like like he'll never show up in the scorecard, but you know uh, him when he's on the ice, kind of player. Yeah, I, I'm I'm interested to see how the defense shakes up. Speaking of yep. Sadorov in particular, how many times have teams just had an absolute headache just trying to get him yeah. signed to an agreement as an RFA? Yeah, like Colorado's been uh, through that go around a couple of times. Chicago went through it last year, and Calgary was. Uh, days away from heading to arbitration with Sadorov, yep. and really is 
his his salary hasn't gone up to even four million dollars. It's slowly crept up to four million bit by bit mm-hmm. uh, in the past two couple arbitration hearings. But I mean, he's he, like he wants like five or six million. Like I don't. I there's no doubt that he's a big body, a very physical presence, and a pain in the butt for teams to play against. I feel like. They're trying to get a Travis Hamnick type of player in Nikita Zadorov. Right. But outside of that, if he's not defending well, um, then that's problems because he's not that much of an offensive dynamo out there. He's a guy that's going to hit bodies and try to play shutdown defense to the best of his abilities. Yep. Which leads me to my next question. Uh, who's going to be the offensive contributor on the blue line now? I know that Mark Giordano, again, was near the end of the line, but it looks to be Noah Hannafin because outside of him, you have Chris Tanov, who I would say is an all-around shutdown type of guy like Zadorov might be. Yep. Yeah, uh, Rasmus Anderson in the mix. He's kind of a bit of both there. You have Oliver Shillington. You have Yusuf Valamaki. And then the prospect system, who do you have? That's a major offensive defenseman. Yeah. Not, really not really any. too many names stick out to me from the Calgary Flames. So you compare their defense to some of the others in the NHL, in their division. Uh, you compare it to Vegas, uh, Vancouver, Edmonton with uh, the additions that they've made and the fact they have Tyson Berry back now. I, I don't really know what to think of the blue line in Calgary and I think that's going to be just as big a question mark as everything else yeah. because we really don't know what to expect. Yeah, the only prospect D and we don't even really talk to them uh, about them in, in our prospects part of the, uh, this team but like the only D prospect that might have a chance is Jan Kuznetsov, and he's not really that like known for, for being more of a scorer. He's more of a shutdown guy. Um, so, um, and and he's probably about like two years away, or you know something like that. So, um, yeah, I I would bet that I think um, um, I guess this kind of leads into Mark Giordano and our departures. Um, I would I would gather to see that Yusuf Alamaki will make a breakout year this year um, if if there is like a defensive breakout or you know if Calgary becomes good and they don't have to worry about the defense it's because Yusuf Alamaki stepped up and, and um, was able to replace what Mark Giordano was able to provide and probably more so I, I, I think that's probably the the best chance they have um, we will talk. I guess we will talk about this other guy, Johannes Kinval, um, in a second. So, so maybe he'll step up as well. But, but yeah, I, before I think we do, that's... I should I should mention Brett. Uh, we have a rare PTO sighting. Uh, Alex Gallant, twenty eight year old center who also plays left wing, yeah. uh, was assigned to a PTO by the Flames. Oh, so one of the few uh, PTOs that have caught my attention so far. Yeah, they 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 love their left wingers. It's weird, um, but um, just like what you played one game at left wing, yeah, sure, okay, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> Jacob Peltier is also a left winger who's one of their better prospects. It's like, yeah, <laughs> where is he gonna play? Um, 
anyways, uh, but yeah, I, I guess I guess that could lead into uh, the uh, departures. Giordano, uh, he goes to Seattle. He was their captain. I mean, it was interesting that they let they exposed him, um, and it seemed like when they talked to Giordano, it seemed like they were uh, he was shocked that they let him expose, but he was glad to to be a part of Seattle and all that stuff. And I think there was like rumblings that maybe he'll get traded or something like that, which I guess is certainly possible. But, um, but yeah, it was definitely interesting that they decided to like not keep their captain or some guy who has been a part of their team for a while. I know he's not as good as he used to be, but it's still like, seems a little strange to just uh, let him go like that and, or not even make a trade to trade to another team or something to get, or just at least like, not get anything for for him um, seems kind of strange to me as well, um, but yeah. I do you remember who the uh, Flames decided to keep over Giordano in terms of defensemen or in terms of defensemen? I uh, can't can't say I know for sure. I'm sure they probably protected Hannafin. Hannafin probably uh, probably Rasmus Anderson maybe yeah that would Chris sense, Tanev as well. Okay. But I'll look that up that. eventually, but um, my brain's a little fuzzy. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Um, Derek Ryan also um, is departing Calgary. He was a decent bottom six player. Um, he was a good center for them too. But um, but yeah, he he's going to Edmonton, which is just interesting because it's like I guess both the guys that they depart that departed are both going to be in their division, so that should be interesting for sure. Um, in terms of resignings, I kind of already talked about it, but Yusuf Alamaki gets a two-year, uh, $1.5 million cap hit just now. Zadorov, I mentioned already, um, and Killington uh, has a 750 k uh, one-year deal as well. So so maybe, um, is it Killington? I think I, did I pr- pronounce that right? I think it's Shillington. Shillington, right, right. I knew it was like pronounced weird. Yeah, it just like it's yeah. just like Yosef Koskinash, yep. where the last name is Doesn't. way yeah. off the mark from the pronunciation. Yeah. Um, so that's about it in terms of additions, departures, in Calgary. Uh, do you have any more comments before we get into the prospects? Yeah, I'm interested to see if some of the prospects that we've been talking about, uh, not necessarily uh, Coronado, because uh, yeah pretty sure he just got drafted like a month ago right or so by them um but you look at the departures from some of their depth guys dominic simone Derek ryan who we just mentioned i know he's more of a grinder but zach Ronaldo, i would consider him a depth forward josh levo i would consider him a depth forward as well and bringing and bringing into the folds uh, Trevor Lewis basically is the only NHL name that sticks out to me, not named Blake Coleman. So I'm thinking, okay, does that mean we are they going to give bigger roles to guys like Dylan Dubay? Uh, that'll be interesting uh, to keep in mind as the season goes along. Yeah, for sure. Um, I will. I I have a the only other thing that I will say is I think. Um, this is going to be kind of a crazy um, prediction, although maybe not so crazy. But um, I have a prediction that it's going to be that Andrew Mangiapane has a breakout season. Um, yeah, uh, that would not surprise me at all. 
based yeah, on I what I saw at the World Championships yeah. too. Like that guy was a stud for the yeah. for the Canadians. As well. And I I wouldn't be surprised about Dylan Dubé as well. So um, yeah, that, that's also there too. Um, sorry, I was trying to find the uh, expansion draft and, and who Calgary protected, but uh, I guess we can get going now. Um, so, um, so in terms of top prospects, I guess you could make a case for Matthew Coronado, who they just drafted. Um, he scored like at an at, he was like the top goal scorer in the USHL for the Chicago Steel, and he should be pretty good. And I believe he is a right winger, so so. Um, so they went uh, against the trend there. Although I think he also plays some left wingers. There's also Jacob Peltier, um, who you make a case for as a top prospect, as well as Dustin Wolf. I think he he should be pretty exciting as well. But uh, the guy that we're actually gonna do as the top prospect is Connor Zary, um, and that's mostly because he had a like an incredible WHL uh, season this year and then he went on to the AHL and he also had a pretty incredible AHL season um even though it was only nine games um and and to be fair in the WHL he only played for 15 he only played in 15 games but in those 15 games he had 24 points um and then for the Stockton Heat um he ended up playing in nine games um and he had seven points uh, so that's pretty good too um, I, whenever I'm reading all these scouting reports, they keep on saying that he's kind of like an agitator, um, a little bit of like of a distant maker, di- difference maker, a, like, kind of like a pest type player. So that should be kind of interesting. Oh, so you're saying Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, basically Matthew Kachuk, <laughs> um, and, and Connor Zary on the same line. And he like, he always, um, whenever like he shoots the puck and then, he goes to the net to to pick up the puck, basically. So he's kind of like uh, he attacks a lot and attacks frequently. So he should be an exciting guy to to watch um, um, in the league if he ever pans out. So so hopefully um, he does. And I think it's it's interesting because we did mention how like it does seem like Calgary does have a ton of left wingers, um, but they like you know other than Sean Monahan and I guess yeah, Michael Backlund's not bad and. Elias Lindholm, I think of him more as a winger, but yeah, I guess he can play some center as well. But um, I, I feel like Calgary does need to look into getting some more centers in there. So uh, Connor Zary should be ex- exciting, and uh, especially since it seems like he scores goals too. So um, there's not too many goal scoring centers in the league, so that that's a rare read as well. So that, it should be exciting to see him in um, in the Flames red. Yeah, uh, one of the things that caught my eye, you're right, is goal scoring uh, has been pretty good in the OHL, but he can rack up the assists. And I feel like we're going to see, for the most part, a playmaker, which is noteworthy because I feel that's kind of the player that Johnny Gaudreau is. Yes, he can score goals, but I feel he's more of a playmaker um, and just as good of a playmaker as he is uh, a goal scorer. Yep. Uh, in his rookie uh, WHL season in 2017-18, he had 29 points in 68 games. That total jumped up to 67 in 63 games the following year, so that was his second year. 43 of those 67 points were assists, so 43 assists in 63 games, pretty decent. Then he gets 48 assists, 86 points in 57 games 
uh, in the shortened 2019-20 season. And then uh, this past year, you mentioned the 24 points, Brett. 18 of those points were assists. So we averaged over an assist per game. 18 assists in 15 games there. Uh, seven of uh, uh, Four of his seven points were assists. So three goals in nine AHL games this past year. That's a pretty good goal scoring rate. So definitely his goal scoring is underrated. Maybe he can shoot the puck a little bit more. Uh, but I think for the most part, if the trend continues, we're going to see more of a playmaking center than a goal scoring center, which I mean, the flames will take, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of disagree with you on that part. I guess we'll see, but I, I think he'll, he'll be more of a goal scoring type player, but, um, but yeah, if, if, if he becomes a playmaker, I don't think the Calgary flames will uh, complain at all. Um, but yeah, I, I think of him more as a goal scoring guy than a, um, a playmaking person, but there's nothing, there's not anything wrong with, with that as well. We'll see. Um, all right. So now we're going to our wild card uh, prospects here. Uh, there's one, uh, this was a guy who wasn't even drafted, um, but uh, he kind of made noise a, a little bit last year or in years prior. This is Johannes Kinwall. Um, and I guess the reason why he kept on making noise is that he's a defenseman, um, and he was playing in the SHL, the Swedish Hockey League, um, and like in 2018 to 2019, for instance, he had 22 points in 52 games. Then um, he went into the playoffs where he had six points in seven games in a in a relegation playoffs, which I guess means that his team was almost going to go to the next tier. Um, and so that was pretty good in terms of like clutchness. Um, and then uh, he had 40 points in 51 games the year, uh, or in, in 2019 to 2020. Um, and then um, he was put on loan where he had 22 points in 32 games. Um, and then I guess he also had relegation playoffs where he had zero points in three games. But um, but yeah, just judging from those points, and we've already kind of talked about how like the Swedish Hockey League, it's really tough to score a lot of points in the league, especially as a defenseman, because you know, yeah, um, this is a professional hockey league, so it's it's impressive that he's able to to at least make some noise in um, in Sweden, and it, it kind of like serves well for what he can do in the NHL when he eventually does play there. Um, I imagine we, we might even see him sometime this year as we were talking about like how defensemen, it seems like Cal the defensemen in Calgary, it's, it's going to be an issue. So so maybe this is their best option where Kinwall can, can kind of like uh, be a, a good player for them. And, um, and, you know, the good news is that like he's like an older prospect too. He's 24 years old, so um, he doesn't need too much development. Are, he's already kind of developed since he's already in the Swedish Hockey League. So, yeah, we might even see him this year, um, which could be pretty exciting. And again, what needs to be emphasized, SHL is comprised of men, not yep. just teenagers. Um, so he's putting up those kind of numbers in a men's league. Um, so I think the only thing he really needs to get accustomed to is the North American style of game which is why I think at the very least he should be playing in AHL Stockton or um, 
actually they might have they might have moved locations. See, the AHL is trying to make it more centralized with and the locations of NHL teams, oh, but yeah. wherever Calgary's team is located for this year, um, I think if he's not playing NHL hockey, he should be playing AHL hockey. I think he's done enough in Sweden. He's showcased enough development to show that he's ready for the next stage in his development. Um, I definitely think we'll see five to 10 games from him. They should definitely give him uh, all the chances in training camp to make the team. Um, I think this could be a very big year for him. And I think in tr- in terms of offensive tools, there's a lot of upside here. Uh, but we haven't seen it for ourselves yet. So until we see that, um, this is this is the definition of a wildcard prospect. Because yep. Miko Lettinen, you might remember the unreal season that he had uh, went before the Leafs signed him. Uh, this past summer and now he's in Columbus because the Leafs blue line is stacked and there wasn't yep. really enough room for him and um, he ended up uh, going for a different uh, scenery in Ohio so um, I, I think if Ken Ball doesn't get his opportunity in Calgary it could happen somewhere else um, but at the very least he should get an opportunity to make the team and should get every single opportunity to do so yeah for sure um, all right, let's go to Carolina. There's a lot of news here for them. Oh, yeah, there is. <laughs> um, so, um, I'm not even really sure where to start. I guess we'll start with goal because they basically got rid of all their goalies. Um, so, they, uh, we'll, we'll start with the additions, I guess, um, to start. So, they sign uh, Steve's top heralded free agent. I remember that episode where you were saying that Freddie Anderson was the best goalie on the market this uh, offseason. And it turns out he got injured pretty much shortly after. Um, You said that and anointed him that one and that kind of ruined his stock. You also wasn't really playing that well uh, to begin with. Um, But um, but yeah, so he he signs with Carolina I had the markings here. Oh yeah, it was a two-year, uh, four-point-five million cap hit. Um, Freddie also has kind of a history of an or has an injury history as well, so it's interesting. But I mean, it, it shouldn't be too bad. I did like Peter Morazic, but we'll we'll see. Um, and then uh, they also sign. Speaking of injury history, uh, goalies. They also sign Anti Ranta for two years at two uh, for two million per year. Um, a guy who has had a worse track record yeah, of staying healthy exactly. than Anderson has. Right, right. And, you know, I, I think the interesting thing is, and we've talked about this before with Freddie Anderson, is that he gets peppered, he got peppered a lot with shots um, yep. in, in Toronto. And, it's you know, in t- the Arizona defense is a little bit better than Toronto's is, but um, it's not so much better. Um, and kind of like the same applies with Anti Ranta, too. And it'll be interesting to see because Carolina, I mean, yeah, they don't have Dougie anymore, but they are, like, they still have Jacob Slavin, they still have Brett Pesci, they still have, like, a decent amount of defensemen that should, like, make them, like, it will be interesting to see how Freddie Anderson, a guy who gets peppered by shots and has to be, basically stand on his head the entire time, um, 
like what what are they going to do when he has a better defense ahead of him um so so that I'm kind of curious about and I guess the same with anti-ranta as well but for both of them I am curious to see how they do um without um yeah just just like you know hopefully they can be healthy but it's probably like They'll, they'll, they'll probably both miss some time throughout the year. It's just going to be inevitable. Yeah, what's also interesting is that uh, when they traded away Alex Nadelkovich... Yeah, we'll get to they that got, in a second, but yeah. Right. They got Jonathan Bernier, and it didn't keep him. Right. So, let's see. So, Morazic, Reimer, Nadelkovich, and Bernier. So, that's four goalies that were under contract before the start of free agency that walked away. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, I, I thought you had more to that, but <laughs> yeah, no. I guess you didn't. No, that's it. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, this is awkward. Um, All four goalies with NHL experience will walk for nothing. That's yeah, it. yeah. Um, then uh, we get to the most controversial signing that they had. Uh, they signed Tony D'Angelo. Um, for one year, one point one million, um, and you know, I I guess this guy has some talent, but at the same time, like he uh, punched um, a teammate in New York to the point where like the Rangers were desperate for defensemen, and that that's been their biggest weakness for the past couple of years, and like it's really telling that they refused to play him. Um, even though they, like, they kind of needed his services. So it's just, um, so that's, that's all that stuff. I do believe in second chances, having said that, but at this point, this is, uh, Tony D'Angelo's, like, fourth team. Uh, he also had some history in, um, in, uh, you know, before he got into the NHL as well. Um, he has some racist history. He's... Um, it's, it's unclear if he's even, you know, he's a Trump supporter or, or whatnot. Um, it just seems like he's, he's just not going to be a good fit for the, the team chemistry. So it's like, yes, I'm all for second chances, but at the same time, this is like his th sixth chance. So it's like, um, and I'm not even really surprised by this considering like Logan Malou got, uh, drafted. There's the whole like Chicago thing. So it's like, it's not even the worst thing in this offseason, but um, it's just crazy that he's given a sec, uh, like another chance because he might be a, like good at hockey. Um, and like what, what, was, what gave me some pause was just the comments that Don Waddell said at the press conference um, when they signed him was that like he's a team guy. Um, and every, like, he has no concern that there's not going to be a thing, which is like, I, I get that he's trying to like, um, you know, he's just doing all the PR stuff, but you, you can't tell me that like, he's not a team guy because the, literally the, the reason why he's not on the Rangers anymore is because everyone on the team hated his guts and wanted him out of there. So, so that part is kind of like a little bit strange where it's like, yeah, maybe like, you know, TDA is saying the right things right now, but, um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. It, it seems kind of crazy to, to just like 
I don't know. It, it, it doesn't seem like it's, it's going to work, but who knows? Maybe it will. I'm sure uh, also being a good team player, um, being a good team player equals not punching your fellow teammates. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, or, or, I, I'm yeah. sure it doesn't say that in the rule book, but yeah. I'm pretty sure that's true. Yeah, I'm, I, I'll, have to, I'll have to double check for you, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, the NHL rule book, uh, you, might, you might be waiting a while for that. It's yeah, pretty yeah. lengthy, pretty beefy. Exactly. Um, also, another dynamic, they bring in Ethan Bear, who um, is yep. a First Nation descent. Um, I hope Tony D'Angelo doesn't make another mistake and, like, actually shows that he's changed here. Yeah. Like, again... Like Brett said, second chances are all fine and dandy. But at some point, if you keep making the same mistake over and over and over again, people aren't going to buy the fact that you're changing, even if it shows that you're changing for the better and you're genuine about it. I, I really hope D'Angelo is genuine about it this time and he's willing to turn the corner because th- this is his final lifeline. Yeah. Like, if he can't make it work in Carolina, he can't make it work anywhere. And I think the Hurricanes are not only um, betting on this short-term bargain working out uh, and producing points for them on the back end, they're banking on Rod Brindamore to do his coaching magic and do a complete 360 on this guy's personality. Yeah. And just turn turn his career, his perspective of life around it, it's it's one thing to to be a better teammate. Tony D'Angelo needs to be a better person. Yeah. And this this is his last chance to show us all that. And and I hope he makes good on it for his sake. Um, I I hope he takes full advantage because if he doesn't, he he should be out of the league permanently. Yeah, and and like I was saying, I think this is like his fifth chance. I you know it's one of the that's yeah saying, fourth or fifth is what yeah, he said yeah. yeah. Um, so it's like, at this point, it's just, it's just crazy to me. It's just like, he clearly hasn't learned, but I guess, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of like just, I'm more angry at society than, than at him or Don Waddell. But I mean, maybe I should be more angry at, um, everyone else too. Um, you can be mad at everybody. Yeah. All right. That's what I'm going to do. Um, (laughs) So uh, the other uh, addition, notable addition, was, um, and Steve mentioned it too, was Ethan Bear. Um, the Carolina Hurricanes made a trade. Uh, they traded Warren Fogle to Edmonton, and they get back Ethan Bear. This is a little bit surprising by Edmonton because Ethan Bear is not a terrible player. He, he had a pretty good season last year um, for them. So, so it was kind of surprising that they were able to make that trade. Um, and I, I guess we're about to get into it, but they like you know they they don't um, their defense is kind of um, was questionable in terms of their departures because they don't have Dougie Hamilton. They didn't they exposed Jake Bean somehow. Seattle didn't pick him, uh, but then they ended up trading him to Columbus for a pick, um, and um, and that's both those guys are going to be huge losses for them. Um, so yeah, like yeah. First of all, and we're, and we're probably going to talk about Nadelkovich in a little bit, yep. but I'm just, it boggles the mind how they're willing to pay a combined $6.5 million per year over the next two years for a tandem 
of Freddie Anderson and Antti Ranta both having injury history. Yep. And for whatever reason, they couldn't pay Jake Bean and Alex Nedeljkovic. Like, what was wrong with them? Or Dougie Hamilton. <laughs> what, what was the red flag yeah. that said, yeah, that the, these these guys, we need to move them? Right, right, right. Um, I, I don't see it. I don't see the point of those. Yeah, I don't get it either. Um, so so I guess that leads into our departures here. Uh, so Morgan Geeky was the Seattle pick. I thought they were going to pick Jake Bean. I felt like that was the right pick, but... Uh, yeah, they got they ended up lucking out, and Morgan Geeky's the pick. Remember, we talked about him last time when we were doing the the prospect things because he had like that famous like four goals in two games or something like that. Um, <laughs> yep. And um, so so it could be you know it could end up working out for Seattle, but um, I thought they should have gone with Jake Bean, but they ended up trading him uh, to Columbus. Um, it was on the same I think it was on the same day as the Seth Jones trade but it might have been like a day after or something like that but um but yeah jake bean goes to columbus they end up getting a second round pick um and then uh uh in terms of other departures uh dougie hamilton i've mentioned or we've mentioned before we won't get back into it but that's going to be a huge <laughs> loss for them um alex and who uh, steve keeps on mentioning uh so they he goes to detroit um, and uh, Carolina gets Jonathan Bernier, who they ended up not signing, and they get a third-round pick um, as well that ended up being Aiden Hershek, um, who's uh, another defenseman, but uh, he's obviously not going to be um, in the league right now. Um, but, um, but yeah, so apparently Nadelkovic, um, what was crazy about this trade in particular is, well, first off, like, um, I, I guess I should also mention that Peter Morazic goes to Toronto, so in a way it was like a Freddie Anderson for Peter Morazic type trade. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then James Reimer goes to San Jose. So all of a sudden Carolina doesn't have their goalies. Um, they add in these two new goalies, and who knows if they're going to make a difference. They also make some changes on the defensive side of things, but um, it's, it's unclear if that's going to make any difference either. The thing with Nadelkovic is... He was like a Calder candidate. He was a, a big reason why Carolina was as dominant as they were in the regular season. Um, and, um, like, he was, like, even, like, you know, he only played, like, tw- I should actually look this up. But uh, he only played a couple of, like, I, I guess the, a big reason why he wasn't considered even further was because, like, um, he wasn't, he didn't play a ton of games. Um, but... Uh, even still, he was a big reason why they were good. Let me just pull up. The, I'm doing some filler right now. Um, and uh, so last year, he uh, in 23 games, he had a 1.9 GAA and a save percentage of 9.32, um, and with a, that's a record of 15.5 and three. So that's very very good, um, especially for a rookie. Um, and even in the playoffs, he was pretty good too. Um, he had uh, in nine games, he had a 2.17 GAA and a save percentage of 9.20. Um, although he he did have a record of four and five, but not all of them were his real fault or anything like that. But um, it's just strange for that because like he gets traded to Detroit. It seemed like a bargain, and he ends up signing with Detroit for two years at three million. Like. 
Um, so like, I, I guess um, this owner, um, I'm blanking on the name. Um, that's a that's Tom a million Dunham. dollar extra than yeah. what they paid Rantum. Yeah. Per year for two years. Like, and, they right. could have afforded an extra million. Tom Dundon is the guy you're thinking. Tom Dundon, yeah. So I, I was gonna say is like he has a reputation of like being cheap. I remember there was like uh, back when they were doing the GM search that he wasn't like going to pay the, the GM like what they usually do for some reason or something like that. He's like notoriously known as being cheap. That's like the epitome. This 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 takes the cake as being the epitome of being cheap. It's like you won't like the biggest reason why Carolina hasn't gone up a level is because of their goaltender. They finally get their goaltender through like the draft. Alex Novelkovich is like legitimately a very good goaltender and then they trade him away for nothing and like it wasn't like it was a cheap contract it wasn't like i could see it if it's like six million or something like that or even more than that oh but it could have been worse but yeah. just imagine if someone picked nadelkovich up on waivers yeah yeah right right that's the other thing did that before. <laughs> yeah they they luck out too because nadelkovich was like put on waivers no one claims him for some reason and then he like brings hell to the the fire and he's actually like pretty good and now it's like you, you you trade him away this is even crazier than not having dougie hamilton or bringing in uh anthony d'angelo so it's like all these different moves all co combined together just makes me feel like carolina is going to take a step back this year yes they do still have sebastian ajo he's very good they still have tabo turbine and he's very good as well and Andre Sveshnikov, who they still have to resign, um, but like they're they're significantly worse just because of their they don't have Dougie Hamilton anymore. They don't have Delkovich and Jake Bean. Like why why did they let him go? It's just um, this whole team uh, it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> like it, I, with all due respect to Jake Gardner, um, in what world? Do you trade Jake Bean before Jake Gardner? Yeah. Like, like, like Jake Bean has the higher upside. Yep. Jake Gardner is a good defenseman, but he's in the prime of his career and was also in the doghouse for a bit. You decide to trade Jake Bean for like a second? Yeah. Yeah. Again, very, very interesting. There, there must be some behind the scenes stuff that we don't know. Yep. Um, in terms of uh, depth moves, um, we already talked about how their goaltending situation has changed, uh, the holes they'll fill in the back end. Uh, getting to the depth guys, we mentioned Morgan Geeky. Yanni Hockenpah is another guy that's uh, moved on. Um, replacing his role is probably going to be someone like Ian Cole, who they brought in on a short-term deal. Uh, Brock McGinn uh, left for Pittsburgh. That's going to be a, a tough loss, not just Warren Fogel there. Um, so bringing... Uh, bringing in some depth on the wings, probably someone uh, like Josh Levo. Uh, they also got Derek Stepan on a cheap deal. You have a four defense hybrid in Brendan Smith coming in. Uh, you have uh, Latunov coming in uh, from uh, the West Coast as well. Um, let's see, who else do they have here? Alex Lyon is AHL depth. He's going to be their yeah, AHL guy, someone they need in a pinch, goalie-wise. Um, he showed some upside in the flyer system, so maybe that works out as well. Um, and, of, and, of course, Ethan Bear, I, I, I think, is going to be a, a pretty good, serviceable top four defenseman for them. Yeah. 
So I'm really interested to see how that works too. Um, I think they're still going to make the playoffs, but I don't know if they're nearly as strong as they were last year with, with all of the moves they made. I think they're saving up all the money they can to pay Sveshnikov, yeah. who hasn't been signed yet. But I would guess when he does get signed, it's upward of $6 million, and it's right. probably going to be a long-term thing. And that's the only reason why I can see them making all these short-term bargain moves is because they're identifying the core pieces they want to keep around. They've already showcased, we want to keep Thibaut Teravainen in for the long haul. Uh, Montreal forced their aim with Sebastian Ajo, but they matched the offer sheet, so clearly they want him in there. We know very well with Andrei Sveshnikov that this is a 30 to 40 goal scorer year by year in the making, yeah. and Carolina's not going to let him walk. Right. So they're saving all their money for their first Sveshnikov. They have to. Yeah, that that's fair. But like, at what cost is the question? Yeah. Really, it's like, yeah, yeah. and that is okay. a good question. Yes. Yes, I I agree with you there. Sveshnikov is a very good player. He should be good for a number of years. But like, you lose Dougie Hamilton. A big reason, like your goaltender has always been an issue for you guys, and then you finally have a goaltender. Um, and then they just let him go. Um, and it's like, you know, Peter Morazic wasn't terrible. James Reimer wasn't terrible. But, um, yeah, just the fact that they, like, they're just like, you know what? Like, uh, like yeah, and they kind of, like, um, they, and to be fair, too, there was that whole, like, you know, there, uh, that series against Tampa, like, the goaltending just imploded. Like, and all three of them kind of imploded. So I kind of get it from that perspective. But at the same time, it's like uh, Nedeljkovic is still pretty young. That was his first playoffs. It's like yeah. you have to t- give him some time, um, and you could afford to pay him $3 million. It's like uh, Carolina still has $12 million in cap space. I can understand um, letting go of Dougie Hamilton because it seemed like he was going to get $9 million. And if you want to pay Svechnikov, I understand that. But then... You have enough money to pay Nedeljkovic, who got, ended up getting three million eventually. It's like, like I can understand if Nedeljkovic wanted even more than that, but three million's not that bad. So it's just, yeah, that that part I don't I don't really understand. And yeah, I agree with you that I wouldn't be surprised if they make the playoffs, but um, I'm going to stick with my prediction that I think they're going to miss the playoffs. Um. To, to, to counter that point before we go into the prospect thing, yep. because I definitely think this is worth mentioning. And we'll, I mean, we'll talk about this eventually, uh, you yeah. know, a couple weeks from now. I'm just going to put this out there, and I've been wrong before, but I've also been very, very right. What if they're targeting a big 2022 UFA, and they're saving up some of their money for that? Like, I don't know, Alex Barkov? Oh, interesting. He has ties with Sebastian Ajo. Right, the finish. Jordan Stahl's in the prime of his career. If you need a number one center with a lot of offensive upside, Barkov is right there for the taking. Well, and Se- Sebastian Ajo is kind Florida's, of the number one center, but yes, I, I, I understand what you mean. <laughs> and Florida's got their own cap problems. Right. So if Carolina has the finances and they really want Alex Barkov... I think they have enough selling points to really make the case for Barkov to come over here. 
And again, a lot of Carolina's success is going to be on the back of Rod Brindamore as coach. Yeah. Like, they're making all of these moves because they see what Barry Trotz did with the Islanders, and they're just like, okay, if we put any lineup in front of our coach, we know he's going to get us wins. We know that we're going to go to the playoffs, and we might have a shot at winning this whole darn thing. Yeah. Because we believe in Rod Brindamore and his message, and it's worked so far. So I, I, I think that's also part of the equation is that they feel very confident in Brindamore's abilities to yield a winning team no matter who's out there. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, just keep that in mind. They could they could be going for a big name this coming offseason. Uh, yeah, I I hadn't thought of that before, but that, that could that could I be just thought of that to be honest. <laughs> but like you're just like, wait a second, who's going to be on a free agent in, in next year? Okay. Yeah, the, Alex next, next, year, next year, there's going to be a lot of big names yeah. hitting the market. Johnny Aki, we've mentioned. Yep. But Barkov's another big one. Uh, Matias Ekholm is a big one if Nashville doesn't extend him. Um, not that Carolina needs defense, obviously. But, you yeah. know, my point is that the upcoming UFA class, I would argue, is better than the UFA class we just saw get paid yeah. and they got paid a lot. So yeah, just, just putting it out, just putting yep. it out there. Not, not saying it's going to happen, but we'll see keep that in mind as the season goes. All right. On. Okay. Good to keep in mind, <laughs> I guess. Um, on the, so now that we go to the prospects here, um, I should mention on the plus side, what's interesting with Carolina and during draft day, what they ended up doing was they kept on uh, trading down and uh, getting like, you know, they traded their first round pick uh, and then got two second round picks. Um, and then they, once they were in the second round, they ended up trading again and they kept on getting like, they kept on doing this where they got two picks um, and, and got like, uh, and traded away their higher picks. And at the end of it, they ended up getting 13 picks um, in this draft, which is insane. Um, I don't. I don't hate that strategy by yeah. Waddell at all. Yeah, it's crazy. So they had like. Um, I mean, I'll talk about a couple of these guys um, during our wild card section, and we're not even going to be talking about one of them um, for our wild card prospect. But I, I do want to mention that it's like that's pretty crazy that uh, they were able to get all those draft picks. I think it's what's interesting about the, this draft in particular was that like no one really knows. Um, you know, just the, the scouting is, it's so scattered and, and wild card in its own right. So it's like, uh, I think that was Carolina's strategy this year was just to compile a bunch of picks and hope you, you, uh, make like, you know, make a couple of them, you know, maybe you land on half of them. And if half of these guys end up being something, then, you know, <laughs> then, uh, all of a sudden, you're set for the next five or ten years. So, yeah. so that's um, that's pretty. Um, it's an interesting strategy and, and kind of risky, but also um, not at the same time. So it's, it was yeah. uh, pretty crazy. Um, but, as we mentioned in the past, with the unpredictability of this draft class, yeah. if there's a time to be risky and be bold, yeah. um, no better time uh, to do that kind of strategy than 2021. Yeah, the interesting thing about Carolina as well is that, yes, they have Seth Jarvis, and we're about to, uh, another wild card, I guess, is Jack Drury, who I'm spoiling here. 
but they also have like Ryan Suzuki, Jamison Reese in this system, Noel Gunler, yep. Dominic Bach, um, Joey Keane, Vasily uh, Panamerov. Um, they they still have a, a lot of good prospects in the system. A uh, Patrick Puistella, uh, David Cotton, even so, it's like they still have a lot of good players in the system, but. Um, just getting 13 more of those picks is just, um, it's just crazy. So we're going to start. They also have a goaltending prospect named Kostikov oh, as yeah. well. Oh, yeah, good one, yeah. Who uh, made a bit of headlines when he was a second-round pick, I think it was, yeah, yeah, in his yeah. draft years. So, he should be pretty good. Yeah, he, he could turn into something, too. And, and yep. with Nendelkovich gone, um, may, maybe he gets uh, yep. his chance in the NHL sooner than we think. So from that, that standpoint, maybe they're not waiting for the 2022 uh, draft a UFA class. They're just waiting to, for a lot of these guys to develop and and be the supporting cast for Aho and all those guys. Um, Possibly, yeah. They'll, um, they'll need that if they're cap strap, you know. For yeah, cash, right? of course, of course. Um, so we're gonna start off. Our top prospect is Seth Jarvis. For some reason, I thought he was a right winger, but it turns out he's a center. I guess he does play some right wing, but uh, he's also a center. Um, or they classify him as a center. Um, but, yeah, it seemed like... Uh, so they got him at the 13th overall um, in the uh, first round last year. Kind of a bit of a steal in a way. Um, I think it was that like it was involved with that Patrick Marlowe trade or something um, with uh, Toronto. So it was Toronto's pick. But, um, anyways, Carolina gets him. Um, and uh, so last year... Um, he had 98 points in 58 games for the Portland Winterhawks and the WHL. He goes again to the Portland Winterhawks, um, and he gets uh, 27 points in 24 games. Um, he also ends up playing a little bit in Chicago uh, for the AHL affiliate. Um, and he, in nine games, he has seven goals and four assists. That's 11 points in, in nine games. So that's very good. Obviously, that's still a small sample size, but it's still pretty exciting. Um, I think he's another one where we could see him a little bit this year, but I don't think we should get our hopes up that we'll see him like full time, um, because I imagine Carolina's probably still wants to develop him a bit in the AHL. But um, if he continues to put up like a, a more than a point per game pace in the AHL, I think Carolina will have no choice but to bring him up. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, it seems like he, he should be a pretty good player for them and, and we'll see how, um, how he does. Um, he's kind of like a door, he might be a dark horse candidate for the Calder. Yeah. So the thing with Seth Jarvis is, and I, I feel like this could be one reason why they chose not to protect Morgan Geeky is because it's okay down the line we got guys yep. like Dominic Bach and Seth Jarvis coming into the fold. We'll be we'll be just fine. Thank you very much. And just taking a look at the goal totals, and again, it's obviously WHL. You have to keep that in mind. But 15 goals in 24 games is very, very good. 42 goals in 58 games is very, very good. 16 goals in 61 games um, as a WHL rookie is very, very good. And in the AHL, seven goals in nine games, not bad for your first nine games at all. Yeah. So um, I, I think Jarvis can rack up the assist, but it's not like 
there's like a clear-cut difference of okay this guy's a playmaker more than he is a goal scorer or vice versa this guy's more of a goal scorer than he is a playmaker he's good at both and at some point down the line you're gonna need goals outside of the likes of sebastian aho and andre sveshnikov and maybe just maybe seth jarvis could be a top three top four goal scorer in his team consistently year after year yeah we'll we'll yeah, it should be interesting to see how he develops, and I think it's it's interesting too when you look at their depth. It's pretty much just Sebastian Ajo, and yeah, Jordan Stahl. But as you were mentioning, Jordan Stahl is like he's a bit on the older side and all that stuff. Um, and even on like the right wing side, you do have Sveshnikov, you do have Nikosh, um, and Teravainen, but mm-hmm. you could. Um, you know, maybe you make him into a right winger and it just improves your team just by having an extra depth piece on, on that side. So, um, yeah, it should be interesting to see how he does um, in the long term. But, yeah, maybe it's, it's another thing where they don't necessarily need him right now. But, um, but yeah, he, 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 it looks like he's going to be pretty good and eventually they're going to have to make room for him. Um, so our next guy we're going to talk about, our wild card is um, Jack Drury. Um, and what's funny about this prospect in particular was usually I'm the one to tell Steve about these kind of guys because he went to Harvard um, and I, I probably have seen him play a bit and, um, and, and all that stuff. But I didn't realize that uh, so during the pandemic, all the Ivy League schools uh, canceled all their sports. So Harvard didn't play for the year. Um, and instead, uh, so like, I, I think even like Matty Beniers was a, a Harvard commit, but he ended up transferring to Michigan. Um, so it's like, it, it kind of had like a butterfly effect where a lot of these guys just ended up going to different teams because they didn't want to like, you know, not be on a, on a team for a year. Um, so, um, what ended up happening for Jack Drury is he went, ended up going to the Swedish hockey league. Um, the Vax Joe Lakers, um, and he ended up doing pretty well. Uh, he ended up getting 30 points in 41 games, um, and keep in mind, he's 21 years old, and we talked about this before. The Swedish Hockey League is a professional hockey league, so the fact that he was able to, to pull 30 points in 41 games um, in, a, in like the Swedish Hockey League is, is pretty good. Um, yep, and, and that's, that's what drew me to Jack yeah, Drury, not his exactly. college stats, this one season in particular. Um, and also, if that last name uh, sounds familiar, um, it should, because uh, his uncle is Chris Drury, the GM of the Rangers, also a great player in his own right. Um, and I, I guess his father is Ted Drury, who also played some NHL too, which was interesting too. Um, but yeah, I, I so like it was interesting from that perspective where... Um, yes, I had heard of this kid, um, and um, but like I didn't really think that he would be like he might have been like a bottom four, uh, six player when he was at, whenever he would be called up. I probably did watch him play at, at some point, but you know I never you know with these people you're just like or the scouts kept on saying like oh he's um, he's probably going to be a bottom six player, but if you can put up those numbers in the Swedish Hockey League at 21 years old. Um, that's, that's a pretty good sign that you're probably, you know, he's probably going to be a legitimate player. 
He's probably still probably going to be like a bottom six player, I would imagine. But um, at the same time, it's um, he could he could be a, a good uh, core piece to them if he plays hard enough and and we see what he is able to do in the NHL. Um, it seems like he's going to play this year, according to Elite Prospects. They have him on the Carolina Hurricanes roster. Um, but yeah, it, it should be something to, to look out for and, and see what he's able to do. Again, taking a look at the goal scoring numbers, like we did with Seth Jarvis, um, in his first NCAA campaign, he had nine goals in 32 games. That shot up to 20 goals in 28 games his second year. And again, in a league amongst men in Sweden, he averaged a goal every four games, which isn't too bad. Right. So, again, another prospect with some goal-scoring prowess that I think could really serve Carolina well. I'm interested to see where he falls under. I think what kind of... Puts him in the wild card is that uh, in the two World Juniors they played for the Americans, didn't really dominate. He actually went pointless in seven games during his first run and then did slightly better in his second run. He got two points in five games, goal and assist. Nothing that'll blow your mind like um, the likes of Trevor Zegers and Cole Caulfield. But I think when you look at his numbers this past year, um, you really start to appreciate what he could provide to an NHL team. And that's what really appeals to me is the fact that at the age of 21, as you mentioned, Brad, he was able to put up a very respectable point per game pace in a league amongst men in a very challenging year. And that's something that can't be overlooked. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how he does. And it seems like we might be able to see him even this year. So, so that should Mm -hmm. be exciting. Um, I do want to mention some uh, of the draft picks that Carolina did pick up, um, uh, particularly um, Alexi Hemosalmi. Um, mm-hmm. He was a second-round pick. He was in Finland, um, and uh, it, it, he had like I think a point per game in fin- like the junior Finland thing, uh, thing, uh, league, and he's going to be in Liga this year, so it should be interesting to see that. Vili uh, Kovunen. Um, also is an intriguing piece as well um, because uh, he was like the bet like I think he led the uh, Finland Junior League um, in points um, in, mm-hmm. in terms of just rookies so uh, so that's right. something someone to to look out for Scott Morrow's another one he's a defenseman um, and uh, Eden Hershak um, I'm looking forward to just because he's going to be a beast. He's going to play at uh, Boston College this year. I, it, it looks like he's going to play. He's going to be like that power play guy. So I'll be curious to see if um, how he does in BC. And then the last one that I do want to mention is Jackson Blake. Um, he had, he's a high schooler. Um, he kind of the same high school that um, Casey Middlestad played for. Um, and he's also, Jackson Blake's also going to go to Minnesota this year. Um, but uh, he also played a little bit for the Chicago Steel, that USHL team that's, like, incredible. Um, and he had 17 points in 25 games. So it's, like, he was really good in high school, but he's also, like, he was pretty fantastic in uh, sh- um, Chicago when he was playing there, too. So 
I'd be curious to see how he does in college as well. Um, they also got Bobby Orr, but the right winger um, who plays for Halifax. <laughs> um, and I, I, I just, um, I hope the Bruins would take him, but um, just for the lulls. But uh, I guess uh, it's not going to happen. Um, and also, I, I should mention that um, what's interesting about Himo Salmi and um, Kovunin is they both signed their entry-level contract, um, even though they were both, like, second-round picks. So it's, it's interesting that, like, that's what Carolina is thinking of those guys, is that they, they feel like those guys are uh, NHL-ready or they're going to have them play at least a couple mm-hmm. games um, in the next couple of years, whereas, like, a lot of these other guys who they picked may not be um, ready just now. So... Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. They they had some interesting picks, and I wonder, I, I think maybe five years from now, we'll do like a retrospective of <laughs> what, what, where are these 13 picks now. Um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, for a small market team like Carolina, I feel like they're kind of like the Sens in some ways, where maybe they're operating on their own budget. Um, uh, by their own budget, I mean like the owner right. and his budget, but... Um, and so I think they're trying to be proactive in like, okay, if this guy asks for X amount of money and we can't keep him, who do we got in the system? It's like, they, they have to have options or else their window to win takes a hit. Yep. And that's not good when you have guys like Sebastian Ajo and Thibaut Tervain and, and those guys, your young pieces, your core pieces for the, for the present and the future all locked up and they're expecting you to win and all of a sudden you're not winning and you're struggling to keep guys in the lineup and that kind of erodes the trust a little bit there no matter who the coach is yeah um so maybe this is their way of staying ahead of the curve always having a plan b or a plan c or a plan d in case the unexpected happens um in case you get a situation like dougie hamilton where he gets paid like nine plus million Right. Like, not too many teams can be able to afford that type of a cap hit. Yep. Uh, and I would classify Carolina in that category. As for uh, your boy Bobby Orr 2.0, if they could trade Allison Delkovich and Jake Bean, I'm sure they could accommodate a trade for your Bruins. Just just to, just for the lulls. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, one for one. A one for one trade. What's funny is uh, next year, um, it's a, I'm going off a little bit of a tangent, but next year there's another U.S. Uh, born player who's in the U.S. NDP, and his name is Jack Hughes. So there's going to be two Jack Hughes um, in the system, which is going to be pretty funny. Um, New Jersey needs to draft him. They, yeah, just for they the lulls. Yeah, there's apparently there's even if they put yeah. Jay Hughes, it's just like they have the same first name. Yeah, yeah. It's, it still doesn't clear up the. Confusion. I'm sure. I'm sure one of them would have to go by John Hughes or something. I don't know. <laughs> But, yeah, um, yeah, just just like eight, uh, yeah. Jack Hughes wears eighty six, the other wears sixty eight. Yeah, that'd be funny. <laughs> um, and uh, so this this Jack Hughes is in Massachusetts. The other Jack, the more famous Jack Hughes, is in um, Michigan. But it'll be confusing for. I can see that like happening now is where fantasy hockey people will <laughs> will accidentally draft the other Jack Hughes. Um, so we'll see. Um, okay. Um, uh, so now we're going to Chicago. Uh, the interesting thing about Chicago is they uh, were so noteworthy that we kind of already talked about them 
are all their trades and all their resignings. Um, but I will mention them again. Um, but if you want to hear our takes and all that stuff, you can listen to them um, way, uh, you know, in a couple episodes ago. So, so there's that. Uh, so in terms of additions, Seth Jones, uh, they also get Marc-Andre Fleury, Tyler Johnson. We didn't really talk too much about Tyler Johnson. Um, but, um, but yeah, so Tyler Johnson, I think I have that here. Did they trade for him? Oh, no. Oh, they did yeah, they, trade for him. They, they traded for him. Yeah, yeah. They, they offloaded Seabrook's cap hit so Tampa right. could stash it on LTIR, and they got Tyler Johnson yep. for basically the same term as Seabrook has left on his deal, which That's is right. three years. Yep. Lower cap hit than Seabrook, mind you, and Tyler Johnson will at least be playing games for them, but still, uh, they're still paying five-plus million to a bottom six option. Yep. Uh, they, uh, and I feel like that could be like an underrated move for them. Cause it's like, yeah, yeah. they have, they're, they're getting Jonathan Taze back. They're getting Kirby Dak back. Um, that rhymed. Um, but like, you know, maybe they need another center there in case, um, Kirby Dock isn't at full health or Jonathan Taze isn't at full health. Also like Dylan Strom's still in the mix. Um, who knows what's going on with him? Maybe they trade him. Maybe they're not done yet. Um, and they trade Dylan Strom or something. I don't know. Um, but, um, but yeah, so that, that, that it could be a, an interesting move to have Tyler Johnson there. Um, Caleb Jones, we've already talked about. He was, um, he was, uh, along with that Duncan Keith move. Um, and then, um, in terms of moves that we haven't talked about yet in terms of additions, uh, they end up getting Juiar, uh, Kiara. I think that's how you pronounce his name for two Chujar years. Chujar Kara. Um, so two years at uh, 975k um, per year. Um, this that's not a bad depth move for them. I, I kind of like that move for them, and we'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Um, in terms of de- departures, uh, Joel K- Wenwill was the um, not Joel Quenwell. Um, was it? It's uh, John Quenville. John Quenville. He was the Seattle pick. Yeah, yeah, he was the Seattle pick. Um, I said Joel Quenville. I think I was confusing him to the coach. Um, Duncan Keith goes to Edmonton. We are we talked about that. Bockfist goes to uh, Columbus, and then Pew Suter goes to Detroit. Um, we didn't talk about Pew Suter or really Bockfist or losing Bockfist um, really uh, for Chicago. Um, What's interesting about the, the, those two moves is that, well, I, I guess we'll start with P. Suter first, but, um, you know, he, he was pretty decent for them. Um, like, yeah, he wasn't like, he didn't really live up to, like, we, we might have had more expectations for him. Even, I just remember him being mentioned in, like, a fantasy hockey sense, but he was pretty good for them. Um, for a decent amount of the time. And I was kind of surprised that they decided to uh, not even, and he was a restricted free agent, which meant that they could have signed him, um, but they ended up not doing that. Um, And uh, yeah, so he ends up going to Detroit. Uh, Detroit just keeps on getting all these like scraps that uh, these teams don't want, which is kind of weird, but I could see Pew Suter like being like a regret that Chicago has. Um, 
when all is said and done because uh, he could be a pretty good player for them in Detroit, and um, and maybe that's what Detroit needs. And we'll talk about them, obviously, when uh, during the Detroit episode. But, but yeah, that was an interesting one. Um, also, like, you know, they lose Adam Bockfist, um, and he was, like, a, a top a first-round pick for them, um, you know, a couple of years ago. And he looked pretty good, too. Um, so, but, like, you know, they get Seth Jones, fine, I get that. But, um, but I feel like they may end up regretting that in a couple of years if Adam Aquist ends up becoming something in Columbus. Um, they also end up getting Jake McCabe uh, for four years, uh, for, or sorry, three years, uh, four million. Um, and then, yeah, I'm just looking at their defense now. So they have Calvin DeHaan and Seth Jones as the top pair, Jake McCabe and Connor Murphy as the second pair, then you have Riley Stillman and Ian Mitchell um, as your bottom pair there. Um, so it's like they don't have Duncan Keith. They don't have Adam Bockfist. Um, they do add Seth Jones. They do add Jake McCabe. But I don't know if that makes them better. Um, Seth Jones probably, you know, it, it all depends on if Seth Jones can uh, come back to what we expect him to be. So, yeah, we'll see. I do love the Jake McCabe signing. That's good value. I like the term as well. Um, McCabe was probably the most underrated defenseman the Sabres had in the yeah. past couple of years. Just very heart and soul guy, big shutdown guy, um, a guy he didn't really want to mess with, um, and just a really good protector. And I think Chicago can really benefit from that. Probably the best offseason decision they've made is by bringing in Jake McCabe. Um, obviously, the Seth Jones signing is going to be a gamble until he proves us all wrong. Hopefully, he does. And hopefully, for the team's sake, he does because they're $2.1 million over the cap in a rebuild. Yeah. With six contract spaces left. Like, the, again, rehashing what we talked about a few episodes ago. I don't get the direction they're going to. Like, Kane Taves, last dance, yeah, sure. Like, you got two years. Is it worth trading for Seth Jones and immediately paying that kind of money? Is it worth going out and getting someone like Tyler Johnson to bolster your depth down the middle? Is it worth getting someone like Marc-Andre Fleury, maybe for the short term to help out Kevin Lincoln? And sure, that's totally fine. It's an expiring contract. That's a different story. But the other stuff, like the Seth Jones stuff in particular, um, not keeping David Camp around, not keeping Pius Studer around, um, Benny Hunestros, I get that part. But Pius Studer, I think, could have been such a key part of this rebuild and a key part of their future once the rebuild's over. Yep. Like Detroit, I think, is really going to benefit from that. And we'll talk about that next week when we talk about Detroit. Um, overall, I think their depth is still decent. But this team doesn't scream to me, we're better than we were last year, and we're going to prove it to you. I don't get that vibe at all. And now they're going to be in a division where there's going to be a lot of teams that are neck and neck. Uh, the highest of the food chain is miles and miles ahead of them. And then you have like teams like St. Louis uh, with something to prove after a couple of disappointing playoff performances. 
You have Winnipeg that's bolstered their blue line. You have Dallas who's done some things. Uh, the only real punching bag is Arizona. <laughs> yeah. And that's and that's pretty much it. Everyone else has got something to play for, and I can't really sit here and say that Chicago's better than any of them. Yeah. Even with the changes that they've made. And a lot of guys in that lineup are going to have to exceed expectations just so they can be a top three team in that division because there's such little room for error and these games are going to be so competitive against one another. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, no, that's a good point. I I don't know, I could, I could see them maybe sneaking into the playoffs because like, it really just depends on if Seth Jones can... Um, can play to what we know he can, and Mark Andre Fleury is Mark Andre Fleury again. Um, but but yeah, I, I I I see your point as well. So we'll see. Yeah, like like it's 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 just a matter of like if you're gonna go all out and like trade some of your future to get these pieces for a last dance run, is it worth it if you yeah make the playoffs but you're out in round one both times? Yep. To me, it's not. Straight no. up, it's not. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, we, we, we talked about this already, so I yeah. don't want to rehash it again. Um, <laughs> uh, in terms of prospects, um, yeah, it's, uh, it seems kind of like barren in a way. It's not so great, but there's a decent amount of people. I guess there's Drew Comesso... Um, Evan Barak could be something. Uh, why Kalyunuk played a little bit this year, um, but but yeah, for the most part, it's not so great. Um, I like Ian Mitchell though. I think Ian he Mitchell, could be yeah. a regular defenseman for them. He's probably yeah, the true. gem now that Boakfist is gone. Yeah, I feel like both they're gonna regret Boakfist in a couple years, like they yeah. will for a few suitor. I think they're but, gonna regret him already. But yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that's fair too. Uh, Wired Kaisers also could be pretty good too, um, but uh, the top prospect we have here is Lucas Reichel. Um, he, uh, I, I think I actually talked about him when we were doing our draft recap last year, uh, because I was looking at what he was able to do as an 18-year-old before he was drafted, um, and he was in the same league as Tim Stutzla, um, and uh, Stutzla, like, yeah, he had a lot of points in the. Uh, German league as well, to be fair, but um, Reichel had uh, 12 goals and 12 assists. That's 24 points in 42 games uh, in the DEL. That's the German league. So that's another professional league. Um, and so uh, what rings out is that he had more goals than Sutzla did in the same league. Um, and then he even played in the World Juniors that year. Um, and he had five points in seven games, so it's like, it almost feels like he's more of a goal-scoring version of Tim Stutzla, um, and, I mean, obviously you shouldn't really compare them because, you know, um, they play different positions, and I'm not even sure if they have the same play style, but, um, it is interesting that, like, um, uh, Lucas Reichel had more goals than Stutzla did in their draft year. Um, and then he plays again. I mean, the difference, though, is that Tim Sislop ended up playing for Ottawa this year. Uh, but uh, Lucas Reichel ended up going back 
to the German League, and he had 27 points in 38 games, uh, 10 goals and 17 assists. Uh, still pretty impressive. Um, I remember, I think he didn't play for the World Juniors because uh, he had COVID or there was some COVID restriction there. But, um, but yeah, he, um, and, and maybe it would have made a difference if he was able to play. But, um, but yeah, he, uh, he, he did play in the World Championship where he had six points in nine games. Um, and he, it seems like he's more of a left winger. Um, than a center, although I guess he does play some center. Um, and yeah, it should be interesting to see how Chicago fits him in eventually. I, I don't, I would imagine he'll still probably be a couple more years out, um, before we actually see him play. But, um, but it is interesting because like Patrick Kane is getting there in age and yeah, you, you do have Alex Debrinkat, um, but he's, uh, you know, he's just one left winger for them. Um, and you know, Kubalik is there too. Um, maybe you put in, um, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe you, uh, but it doesn't seem like Chicago has too many, too much depth in wingers other than uh, those three guys I just mentioned and Kane, uh, Kubalik and Debrinkat. But, um, but yeah, so he could be like a good mix for them, um, eventually and, and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, when you take a look at um, where the chips fall in terms of uh, left wing and down the middle, uh, right now, Kirby Doc, obviously Jonathan Taves in the mix. Um, you also have uh, Henrik Bjorkstrom and uh, Jujar Kaira. Um, so I think Lucas Reichel probably starts out on line three. Uh, when he's NHL ready, I think probably he's going to get some AHL time before that happens. Um, overall, I've liked his point production in the, the Dell League the past couple of years. I uh, was slightly better this year, so that's good. Definitely showing signs of improvement there. In terms of uh, the left side, uh, some underrated weapons there, obviously. Alex Dabrinkit, uh, considering his place among the league's best, I would call him underrated. Uh, but definitely a very, very good hockey player. Same with Dominic Kubalik. Uh, you also have Philip Kurashev in the mix and Brandon Hagel, who I was really impressed with. I'm glad they kept him on board. That was a very good decision by Bowman there. Um, so there's a little bit of room for um, a guy like Lucas Reichel to make an impact. But it, I'm not really sure where where the best option is to put him there. Yeah. Because a first-round pick of Lucas Reichel's caliber I think he needs to be, in order to flourish, at least on the second line. And for the time being, on left wing or at center, I really don't see any immediate holes to fill. Um, the only way I see him playing on the second line is in a center position. And that's assuming that uh, Jonathan Taves is probably out of the picture by right. then. Because uh, I don't imagine... Uh, well. Well, I guess never say never. Keith, uh, uh, someone like Jonathan Taze might accept a third-line center role, but um, that doesn't mean they should put him on the third line. I still think he has enough to give where you don't need to do that just yeah. yet and put all the pressure on the rookie. I think, if anything, um, Taves can be sort of a mentor to Lucas Reichel because of how young the team has gotten in the past couple of years. Yeah, that's fair. 
Um, we'll go to Mike Hardman as our wild card pick here. Uh, this is another guy that I probably should have known because he did go to BC, um, so he's in my neighborhood. Uh, but the guy who goes to Boston doesn't know Mike Hardman. Yeah, I know. First. I know, crazy. He's a fraud. Um, basically, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. Um, but um, so so that uh, so thanks for mentioning him. Uh, Steve, uh, but yeah, he ended up having 19 points in 24 games this year for BC, and then he ends up playing eight games for the Chicago Blackhawks, um, and he actually does pretty well. He has uh, three points in eight games um, there in Chicago. So, um, so yeah, he's a he's a, like who knows if um, like what his true potential is. I would imagine it's not uh, like super high. But at the same time, it's like those are pretty good numbers for uh, college, and um, you know that he was just a sophomore. He's 22 years old here, um, and you know he went undrafted, and you know who knows with these kind of guys because like even Martin St. Louis went undrafted. Guys like Nikita Kucherov, oh no, Kucherov went uh, second round. Never mind. I was gonna say he got undrafted, but he. I was thinking of Martin St. Louis. Uh, never mind. Um, but, uh, but even still, like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're undrafted or not. If you can play, you can play. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't know if he'll, he'll ever be like in the top six for them, but I think he, um, it does seem like he's like one of those gritty guys that you have to have on, on these teams in order to be successful. Yeah. I think, uh, someone like a Ryan Hartman, um, is, is the type of guy that um, r- reminds me of Mike Hardman's game. Ryan Hartman is a guy with a little bit of offensive upside at the NHL level, but for the most part, uh, is a guy that kind of stirs the pot at times. Can be a pretty big agitator, a thorn in your side, if you will. Um, and perhaps that's uh, what what uh, Mike Hardman could turn into down the line. But taking a look at uh, some of his recent numbers, uh, the goal scoring is, is pretty decent, where I think, uh, again, you can make some offensive use of his skill sets in some way, shape, or form. Uh, maybe he's a guy that you slot in on the third or the fourth line. Um, but the one good thing I like about this guy is, again, the versatility. He can play left wing, but he can also play right wing, and that's uh, something that is good because at the very least it gives the coach some options to work with in a pinch. Right, right. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I, f- I feel like we'll be remix remiss if we don't mention the the sex scandal that's looming over this franchise uh, for the time being. Um, there are some updates that we should probably mention. Uh, the first one that I, I think I, I do want to, that I remembered that happened was uh, Nick Boynton, I guess he was a part of the team, but he had mentioned specifically that um, Brent Seabrook, Patrick Kane, and I think he named another person um, all new, um, and they even like laughed at it. There was even like a, a Rick Westhead, by the way, is doing tremendous investigations on this whole thing. Um, it's just sickening, really. It's just like, uh, I can't believe it was like all this stuff was going on. Um, at the time, and it's just it's just sickening that they were able to do it. I just want like everyone to be gone who is who even knew about it. But it sounds like every everyone on the team knew. 
Um, and I, I think it, it does definitely bring into question because, like, Nick Boynton didn't say that Jonathan Taze knew or not, but um, but since he was the captain on that 2010 team, there's definitely, like, it's either he's a bad captain because he didn't, you know, he didn't know this big thing that all the other players knew, or he's a bad human being, and he, if he did know, and didn't speak out about it because that's just that's just not good. And I, I just I feel like every player on that team is terrible because they they're complicit in this in this investigation and stuff. And yeah, like you could make a case that like this like this wouldn't affect their them winning the cup in twenty ten, but it does definitely bring a shadow um, into this whole thing, because you're like, you, you want to root for these players. You want it, like, I root for the Bruins, yeah, because I like hockey, and they live near me, near me, but also, because, like, I know that Patrice Bergeron's a good guy. I, I know a lot of people don't think that Brad Marchand's a good guy, but he is a good guy. Um, you know, all, like, Tuga Rast, uh, David Pasternak, uh, Charlie McAvoy, I could go on and on. Like, you want to think that you, the players that you root for are good people. And I, if I'm a Chicago Blackhawks fan, I don't think I could say the same. So um, I, I, I have uh, one Chicago Blackhawks fan in my league chat, and he mentioned that he's, he's not going to be a Chicago Blackhawks fan anymore. He's a free agent. I think he's deciding between Seattle and L.A., uh, he's he lives in California, so that's why LA might be his his choice. But um, tell him he should join the Sens. We got a lot of yeah. cheap tickets. <laughs> I, I was joking. This was around the same time as the David Krejci <laughs> news. So I was saying like, he should he should become a Bruins fan so he could see uh, Charlie Coyle try to become a second line center. But um, <laughs> but I, I don't know Seattle and LA. Anyways, like that that's how like. I think that's the sad part about this whole thing is is that like sh- the NHL is not doing anything about it, um, and Chicago's like basically what the NHL did is they like, told Chicago like you handle it, um, and and maybe there is something to do with like the lawsuits. It's still ongoing, so who knows what's going to happen there. But um, but yeah, just the fact that the NHL is like so callous about it. they they don't care about this thing at all because they just want everyone to forget about it and the only reason that people are like are the only way that people are are the NHL is going to listen or the Chicago Blackhawks are gonna take accountability is if the fans like more of those people like I like that guy in my chat just stopped going to the game stopped supporting the team stop doing whatever it is um like just to like you know just hurt them where it counts and that's their wallet. So, um, so yeah, I, I do hope that um, there is some accountability. I don't think they should like. I think what's interesting about the Chicago Blackhawks in particular is they are an original six team. They also already have some controversy with uh, their mascot that's kind of racist as well, but that's a different matter. So it's like they have this whole thing where it's like. They, they they're a terribly run organization, um, and yeah, I don't I I don't know a way to fix it. Like you could do like the Penn State thing where you just like take away their twenty ten title, but um, but yeah, it still feels um, 
don't know. It's just a it's a sad part about the NHL right now. It's a sad part as well because, um, you, you like you said, Brett, you look up to these guys. You think you know them. Yeah. And you think they're genuinely good, and then something like this happens, and your vision of your memory of this player is just right. forever ruined. And may, maybe. Maybe Jonathan Taze wanted to speak out, but wasn't sure. Um, I don't really know what was going through his head, but I don't buy the fact that he didn't know. Yep. I would think, as the captain of any team, if something happens like that in the locker room, where the non-captains, the non-leaders in the room knew about it, surely the captain would have at least heard something about some very just disturbing, messed up kind of things right. happening in the locker room there. Like, surely he had to have known. But um, may- maybe he was worried about the divide it could cause within the team or yeah. with, with management, perhaps. And uh, heck, for all we know, maybe the NHL knows more than we think they do. And if we found out uh, what the what? NHL knew and Maybe it's a case, and again, we don't know for sure because it's before the courts, so there's there's only so much they can say yeah. while this is going on in the court system, obviously. But let's say the NHL, hypothetically speaking, knew more about the situation, chose not to act. If that gets out, then it's just like, okay, well, the league is not taking action slash it isn't stopping the Hawks slash appears to be enabling the hostage like yeah okay what what whatever it's it's just 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 don't speak it a bit again and, and we're fine mm-hmm. that that kind of stuff could really damage a league's reputation so th- i think there's a lot more to this story than what we're being led on uh in terms of information and I think this story is just going to continue to add more layers to the complexity right. of this. This is only going to get more and more complicated and, and convoluted and scandalous um, as the days and months go by. And it's probably the NHL's darkest moment, like yeah. as a league. Yeah, to, for sure. To allow something like this to happen and not to take swift action, even in 2010, it it's it's just it's it's unthinkable yeah it's it's unthinkable that someone had a chance to speak up multiple people had a chance to speak up and do something uh mainly the guys in the front office and nothing was done they were told yeah we'll take care of it we'll handle it we'll mention it to the cops and if they never mention it well, that's, that's exhibit A of liability right there. Yep. Like, as an organization. That is you messing up big time. And there's a recent article in The Athletic. They were asking Chicago Blackhawks fans from, like, 5 years old to 10 years old to 15 years old to 30 years old. Fans who have been with the team for, for many different time periods – and some of them just said they've lost me and they're going to need to they're going to need to seriously grow up or I'm not going to be attending a Blackhawks game for a while. Yep. 
and that and and then once they address that then they're probably going to face more issues about uh, i don't know a possible name change because yeah well that's been talked about for for many go-arounds already yeah i mean if they if they need a rebrand like this is the perfect time to do it uh, <laughs> so so maybe like it could you could make some positives where it's like okay well they're no longer the chicago blackhawks because it was a poorly run organization but then they're the Chicago, I don't know, Bears or something. Oh, that's a football team. <laughs> but um, they're the Chicago uh, Eagles, and um, and then they, uh, um, and then everyone's like, okay, I'm I'm I wasn't a Blackhawks fan, but I'm an Eagles fan or something like that. Then then they'll be good. Um, yeah, and on on that same note, it's it was interesting, and we'll get into it for our Sharks episode. But um, Evander Kane, uh, he got, he might have gambled on his games. Um, there, there's uh, some speculation, but we'll get into it in, in San Jose. But that news happened, um, like in the morning, and then like two hours later, the NHL responded saying that they're looking into it. And what's what's crazy to me is yes, uh, that that should be investigated in it if. If Evander Kane did end up gamble on games, that should be looked at. Um, however, like they're, they're completely—they haven't even made a statement yet on the Chicago Blackhawks. I know there's a lawsuit. Some that's my only defense for them is that, or the only thing I can think of is is that they're they can't say anything because there's a lawsuit going on. But obviously, I'm not a lawyer. Um, but like. Uh, or the other thing is, is that like technically it's not like hockey related. But at the same time, it's like this is as damaging as a player maybe gambling on his team, because like this is a a team's reputation at stake, and like a, like this is a criminal act that this team has covered up, and uh, so like this should be taken seriously uh, by the NHL. It's it's just, it's just, and you're right. It's like a, it's probably the biggest travesty that the NHL has ever had. I, I think in their history. I mean, obviously, I'm I'm biased for recency, but um, if there's one other scandal it, that I think is probably right under this type of what the actual hell am I reading? Uh, it would probably be. I don't know if you remember or even coming across this story. About this guy named Gordon Stuckless. And um, he's, he did some very terrible things. You know what his role was? What? He was an usher at Maple Leaf Gardens. Oh, wow. And served jail time. Jeez. For, for his crimes. And they were very, very bad. I'm not going to describe them. You can Google them if you want to find out yeah. more about Gordon Stuckless. Uh, but yeah, uh, a POS. Okay. All right. Interesting. Like that's interesting too, because that guy was that's an usher. This is like a coach and some players on, on the team. Yeah. So it's like um, that's that's crazy. Okay. Anyways, on that note, uh, we're going to go back to hockey. Um, Colorado um, is our next team here. Uh, so they added um, a. Darcy Kemper. We talked about that trade last week. Um, if you don't remember, 
um, let me pull this up. It was, uh, so uh, Darcy Kemper uh, goes to Colorado um, and they traded away Connor Timmons, a 2022 first round pick and a 2024 conditional third round pick. Um, and Arizona receives the 24 third round pick if Colorado wins the Stanley Cup and Kemper plays in 50% of the playoff games. Um, this was, you know, this was quite a lot for Darcy Kemper. Um, although Kemper is a pretty good goalie when he's healthy, which is going to be the key here. But, um, but yeah, I, I think this was definitely in response to uh, Philip Grubauer uh, going to Seattle, which I don't think they were uh, they expected at all. Uh, to the point where uh, Colorado protected Grubauer, um, so like you know Seattle wasn't even. Uh, able to talk to Grubauer during that window. So, you know, we all thought, like, okay, maybe Landeskog is um, going to be the guy to go to Seattle um, instead, and maybe they were, like, ex- almost expecting that. But it, it turned out it was the opposite, where Grubauer ends up going to Seattle. Um, and then, um, and then yeah, so, but Darcy Kemper should be a good goalie for them. I, I wonder if it'll be the same situation, though, as Grubauer had, because um, last year what ha- ended up happening was Grubauer played a bunch of games, and then when he wasn't playing, they had like guys like Devin Dubnik, Jonas Johansson, um, there was uh, Hunter Miska, I'm sure there's other guys I'm missing, but none of those guys were able to be a solid backup goaltender for them. I'm sure the uh, Pavel Francis will be back for Colorado this year, but... Um, but again, and, same and, thing, injuries. Yeah. And yeah, he has injury history as well. So if, if there is a downfall for Colorado, and they're probably the easy favorite for the Stanley Cup right now, but um, but if there is going to be a downfall for them, it's it's their goaltending. And, and, that's, and, you know, that's mostly if Kemper gets injured, which he usually does, or if Francis gets injured, and he usually does, um, so so that could be um, an issue for them down the road. But um, it is a it is a nice trade, and we'll see how it goes uh, for for Colorado. Yeah, there's no question that if you even put Darcy Kemper in front of a mediocre team, um, he can give you a very solid chance to win any hockey game, and he can even steal games for you in those situations uh you look at how he turned around the arizona coyotes in the short time that he was there and how people looked at the coyotes they didn't see them as a playoff threat but they didn't see them as a bottom feeder anymore they saw them as a consistent threat that could beat you on any given night and i think if you put him in front of a defense that has names like sam gerard and uh, possibly Bowen Byram and Kale McCarr and Eric Johnson uh, when he's in the mix, Devin Taves, yep. um, bringing in some depth guys as well in free agency, and even some of their young defensive prospects too. You, you put him in front of that defense and in front of that offense with a lethal, can't stop, can't touch this power play. <laughs> You don't really care if it's Andre Vasilevsky or Philip Grubauer in net or even Alex Nedeljkovic. It doesn't matter 
what goalie you have in there as long as if he can make the key stops at key at key times and preserve the win for you that's that seems to be good enough to keep their vision intact and i think darcy kemper at the very least can make the key saves when they need them it's obviously like you said brett injuries are going to be the main thing i would i i think ultimately in this sticky situation and there have been two in joe sackick's tenure obviously the matt duchene tree is the stickiest and he turned that into an embarrassment of riches for him and the Yavs. so he passed that test with flying colors even though at the time he was fairly criticized for it this time around presented a different challenge because you had a guy like philip grubauer finish top three in vesna voting and play very well for you in the three years that you got him on that bargain contract and you have to pay him the same time you have to pay kale mccarr one of the rising superstars on the blue line to date and a heart and soul leader in gabriel landiscock and you can't keep all three but you need to do whatever you can in your power to keep as much of the band together as possible i think they went the right route by not keeping Grubauer, and I'll tell you why. Because there were a lot of moving goalies. There was a, there was a multitude of musical chairs going on in the goaltending scene. Yeah. And Darcy Kemper wasn't among the UFA goalies. He's a UFA after this season. Uh, so they get him, at, again, a bargain contract, and they're banking on him to deliver. They're willing to take on the injury risk, of course. That's a, that's a key concern there but i i think if francis is able to carry the load they should be fine for the most part yeah it would be tougher for them to give kale mccarr a bridge deal when he could be worth more than what he's making right now which is like eight or nine million per year yep and it would be almost impossible for them to overcome the loss of Gabriel Landeskog. And we'll talk about that when we talk about Landeskog in this segment here. But it, it, to me, it's not the offense that they'd be missing with Gabriel Landeskog because they have a lot of offensive weapons at their disposal. I remember Brian Burke did this interview with Sportsnet and he was asked some good and bad draft stories. And he said one of the best draft day interviews that he had was with Gabriel Landeskog. To the point, he was so good, they wanted him to to sit down and just and just stick around and help him <laughs> with the rest of the interviews because he was he was such a good leader. And this is an 18, 19 year old Gabe Landeskog yeah. we're talking about. This is Gabe Landeskog before he was drafted by an NHL franchise. Right, right. And I'm sure he's matured a lot over the years since then. I know Colorado, to quote Nate McKinnon, hasn't won Jack yet. <laughs> but give them time, they will. And it would have been very, very tough for them to complete their mission if Landis Cog wasn't in the picture. And he signed for $7 million. Like, they had their captain locked up for the next seven or eight years at a $7 million yeah. cap hit. So getting him at that price is huge for them, too. Yeah, we'll talk about them in a second. But I, I think another reason that uh, they couldn't sign all three of those guys, Makar, Landeskog, and Grubauer, was that uh, McKinnon is making $6.3 for two more years, which is a bargain right now because he's 
mm-hmm. uh, top two, maybe top three best players in the league. Um, and when that happens, when he's a UFA in 2023, uh, 2023 um, or sorry, 2024, um, he's going to be making a lot of money um like mcdavid level money so he'll be making at least nine mil yeah so it's like yes uh kel mccarr and gabriel landeskog and grubauer are all good players that should be a part of their core however of those three like you know if you pay all of them for long term like they've all probably wanted to stay there like the most likely that's not going to live up to that contract is Philip Grubauer. And you could maybe make a case for Landis Skog, but, um, but yeah, like all the Colorado moves now, uh, for the future or for the next two years, is pretty much just like hoping, like saving money so that they can pay Nathan McKinnon what he, uh, deserves. Um, and, and that's probably going to be 10 million, 10.5 million, maybe even more than, uh, uh, McDavid is, but, um, but yeah, you were referencing that he may be a crazy person because uh, there was a report that he was restricting every, what people could eat um, in practices and saying that championship teams don't eat sugar, which is funny because uh, Nathan McKinnon hasn't won a cup and hasn't, and Colorado hasn't even won, um, hasn't even be- beaten uh, an expansion team yet in the playoffs. So yeah, um, at least, at least, unlike the Maple Leafs, they make it to the second yeah. round. But um, but I am looking at their uh, cap friendly page right now, and we will get into Landeskog and Makar in a second. But um, I do notice that they have a lot of UFAs next year: uh, Burakovsky, Kadri, uh, Nishushkin, uh, Darren Helm, which I didn't even realize was still in the league, um, Stefan Matteau, Kiefer Sherwood, Ryan Murray, who I'm, uh, I was about to talk about, uh, Curtis McDermott. I guess uh, he was a Seattle pick, but I guess he uh, was traded. Uh, Jordan Gross, and then both their goalies, uh, Kemper and Fransu, uh, Fransus. So it's like, um, so they have a lot of money to deal with that are going to be coming off the books. And and maybe they don't have to worry about paying McKinnon what he's worth. But, um, but yeah, that is something to keep in mind uh, for this team. Um, and, th- and they've yeah. already lost some key guys right. as a result of keeping Makar and Landeskog yeah. to these cap hits as well. Yeah, that's a good so point. They've already, they've already lost assets this offseason. Yeah, yeah, fair fair enough. Uh, Ryan Murray is an addition. I'll get into the departures in a second, but uh, he's yeah. making $2 million for one year. Um, and then uh, Dylan Secura, who uh, he was a name uh, way back when for Chicago. He was in Vegas for a little bit, but I guess he never made the pro roster. Um, maybe he won't make the pro roster this year, but we'll see. Or maybe um, he gets pretty goals. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Honestly, we'll see. The second line, just because it's the ads. Yeah, yeah, that's game. definitely possible. Um, as for departures, which is what uh, Steve was saying, uh, Don Skoy is the Seattle pick. Uh, Grubauer also goes to Seattle. Uh, Ryan Graves, we talked about that when it happened, but he's he's going to New Jersey. And then uh, Connor Timmins is, uh, was involved in that trade there. Um, those were the key big departures for them. But, there were some. There were some other ones. Uh, Brandon Saad left. Pierre Edward Balamar left. Matt Calvert retired. Uh, Patrick Nemeth left again. Greg Patron, if you're looking for another depth defenseman, he also left. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Saad, Saad uh, Belmare, and uh, Calvert. I think 
added a little bit of grit, and there was there there was uh, some analysis. I think I heard on like uh, the NHL Network or something like that, um, where in the Vegas series, Colorado had a tough time handling the Vegas counterattack. Mm. So my question is: one, did some of the moves they make this offseason address those issues so they could handle those counterattacks down the road and two have they lost too much grit i think guys like belmar and calvert they definitely fit the mold of a dying breed in the game of hockey but i still think you need some of that grit some of that toughness for the playoffs because some of that grit and toughness are so crucial like Look at Tampa Bay. They had Barkley Goudreau and Patrick Maroon and Blake Coleman, uh, you know, just basically driving people crazy. Yeah. You look at Corey Perry and Brendan Gallagher. They did the same thing with the Montreal Canadiens. Josh Anderson is a pretty big guy as well. Yeah. And, hey, look at that. Those two teams met in the finals. What, what a concept. And Vegas also had Ryan Reese. They don't anymore, but Ryan Reese and Will Carrier – formed a big part of that fourth line and i think that definitely played a role in how far vegas went most years yeah. so i think getting rid of some of that grit could come back to haunt the abs i don't know if it will but it could yeah i i see what you mean they still yeah i, I think what was interesting was last year when nazim kadri made that stupid penalty or you know stupid suspension um and then you know they were they failed to beat Vegas, but I feel like if Nelson Kadri was in the lineup, Colorado probably would be in the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, they may not have beaten Tampa Bay even still, but um, I, I think they would have been in the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, but um, but yeah, so it's it's definitely um, it, yeah it's an interesting point where it's like they're so close to getting making that extra step where it's like they're making the Stanley Cup finals, they probably should be in the finals, but just for whatever reason they can't do it. And um yeah, I don't know I don't know if it's necessarily grit, but I, I do th- wonder if it's like some other piece. Because they're strong on offense, they're strong on defense, definitely strong on defense. Um, and we know they can skate like the yeah. wind too. Like, right, right. Skating's not the issue at all. And, they can dictate yeah. the pace like nobody else. And like I can, I can see like you know, Grubauer was phenomenal when he was playing, but like in the playoffs, you know, and, and like whenever the backup was playing, they kind of like struggled. But like in the playoffs, you don't have to worry about that because Grubauer is playing every single game. Um, so so that is, that is kind of an issue, but only in the regular season. Um, however, it's like. I don't know. It's it's like even goaltending's not really an issue too. So it's, but maybe it is now. With uh, we don't know if Darcy Kemper is going to, uh, you know, thrive under pressure or not. So so that's that's definitely possible. Um, in terms, oh, I see here. I'm looking at Colorado's trades here. They did. Uh, they gave up a or. Uh, they gave up their fourth round pick in 2023 for Curtis McDermott. Um. And then, uh, so now we go into the re-signings. Um, I do want to talk about Tyson Jost just a little bit before we get into the big two. Um, he signs a two-year, uh, two, uh, $2 million per year 
deal. Um, it's interesting too because he, um, you know, for a while it seemed like he was going to be the next big thing for Colorado, but he hasn't. He was a top ten yeah. pick in his draft year. He hasn't really lived up to it yet, but it, it is interesting that they still believe in him and they signed him for two years. So it's it, it could it could be a a nice break for them. Um, he could have a breakout year for him maybe, but um, but yeah, it's it's yeah, weird that he's. I, I definitely not think there with yet. the with, with the fact that uh, Brandon Saad is is out of the picture and Don Scoy is out of the picture. Yep. Um, there are a lot of holes that need to be filled offensively, and that could lead to a bigger role for Tyson Jost. Yep. And we saw what uh, Burkowski could do when you put him in a bigger role with all of those uh, fine assets on his line. Maybe the same effect happens with Tyson Yost, and um, I don't know if he goes like off for sixty to seventy points, but like forty to fifty, I could definitely see that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Maybe, yeah, and that's not too bad for two million. And as I was mentioning, that it seems like that Colorado has so many UFAs this coming year. Um, so, so yeah, maybe maybe he does like uh, uh, get some playing time, and we'll see about that. Um, so we're going to start off with, uh, Gabriel Landeskog. We kind of already talked about him a little bit, but there was, uh, there was rumors that he was going to sign with Seattle. I guess it just never ended up happening. And then, uh, Grubauer ended up being the guy that, uh, Seattle ended up picking. I feel like Colorado was surprised by that because maybe, um, maybe they were, um, because all the rumors for the last two weeks was that, like, Gabriel Landeskog and Colorado are far apart in contracts, and um, yeah, it like seemed, they didn't yeah. even protect him in the expansion draft. They well, protected yeah. Grubauer over him. Yeah, it, it, like, and and that's not like unheard of because a lot of teams weren't protecting their UFAs, but like you know, like Ovechkin wasn't protected, <laughs> for instance. But um, but yeah, it's like the fact that they protected Grubauer makes it seem like, okay, so they want to keep Grubauer or they have a deal in place, but, like, they don't keep, like, Landeskog. So, it's like, does the same rules apply for that? Um, and so that was strange. And um, and there was also reports that Landeskog was just, like, offended by the first offer or something like that. So who knows? But, but yeah, like, all the reasons you were saying is he's, like, a captain material. He was on the team when they were really, really bad. Um, and, um, and he's a leader type, uh, you know, I've heard him speak in interviews a lot. He seems like a very, um, like a clubhouse guy. He seems like a really cool guy. I was hoping the Bruins would get him if, uh, if, uh, we didn't end up resigning Taylor Hall, but, um, uh, Lana Scott is one of my favorite non Bruins players. So, um, he, like he plays hard. He's, he's a tough player to play against and, um, and he can score goals, and which is uh, important in this kind of league. Um, but anyways, he signs an eight-year deal for seven million per. Um, he's 28 years old, so he's not exactly young anymore. But um, that, that's still pretty good, and I, I, I think he could. He has the potential to live up to that um, that contract, and and yeah, it's um, and hopefully maybe they'll they'll get a cup out of during that time period, but. Um, yeah, that, that's what the contract is. Yeah, and his numbers overall have been relatively consistent. He had 52 points as a rookie. 22 of those points were goals. Uh, after a down year riddled with injuries, he bounces back for a 65-point season, 26 goals. 
Um, and then he gets 59, 53 points, um, 20 plus goal seasons there. Um, a very down year, the year where Colorado just struggled mightily to win games. Even Nathan McKinnon had a tough time scoring goals. But then you look at the last four years, and it's pretty remarkable how good he's been. 62, 75, 44 points in 54 games, and 52 points in 54 games. So you're looking at a guy that, worst case scenario, is close to a point per game, and more often than not is scoring, again, 20 to 30 goals, maybe 30 plus. Like, that's very good value for an offensive guy. And we all know that, for the most part, McKinnon and Brantonen are the ones driving the boat. Um, and if and if you want to, again, look at a guy that can lead this team to the promised land, I think Gabriel Andestaga is certainly capable of doing that. He just needs to do it. Yep. And now he's got eight years to make it happen. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then uh, Kel McCarr, which is probably the bigger deal, but he ends up uh, getting uh, six years uh, for $9 million per. Um, so roughly around what Dougie Hamilton ha uh, is making, although I guess Dougie Hamilton's making one more year. Um, and Kel McCarr is, uh, I think, like six years younger, maybe five more years, five years younger. Uh, some it's, it's somewhere there, so it's like um, even better there. Um, and Cam, the other thing about Kamal Carr is he. Uh, I was just looking at his stats um, for a defenseman. Um, he's he's very good. Um, uh, I know shocker, uh, but he had uh, 94 points in, in his career um, in 101 games uh, so far. So um, he even like missed a couple of games this season. Um, and he still was getting some Norris votes, um, and he probably would have gotten the Norris um, if he uh, if he played a full year. Um, but um, but yeah, so he's definitely worth it, and he's he's been like. What's interesting about Colorado is they have, um, you know, they lose Ryan Graves, uh, they don't have Connor Timmins anymore, um, and you know maybe they end up regretting those two departures. But they still have Camel Carr. They still have Eric Johnson, Sam Gerrard, who had a breakout year this year, Devin Tays. Uh, they pick up Ryan Murray. Oh, and, oh yeah, they have Bowen Byron in, in the system. And it's like, so it's like they, they drafted Sean Barons. We're going to talk about Justin Barron in a second. So it's like they have an overload of defensemen. But um, it's interesting that, like, Camel Carr is going to be the best defenseman um, in that group uh, by far. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth that much money, I think. Looking at uh, the salary, uh, 53 of the $54 million that he's getting is base salary. The million-dollar sign bonus that he gets isn't until the final year of his contract. That's year six. Um, and the highest the cap hit goes in terms of a single year, $11 million in year three, and it's down slightly to $10.6 million in year four. Um, I have a feeling, Brett, that uh, unfortunately for your Bruins, Charlie McAvoy's contract's going to look yeah. an awful lot like that. Probably. Um, and you can blame Seth Jones and the uh, – well, not and Seth Zach Jones. And Zach Wierenski. You can blame the Chicago franchise for basically <laughs> starting this trend because all of a sudden, defensemen, yep. up-and-coming young defensemen like Seth Jones – 
like Kale McCarr, like Miro Heiskanen, Zach oodles, oodles of cash, like right on yep. their first big boy contract, basically. And that Seth Jones contract kind of set the market for every other defenseman. Yep. And now Charlie McAvoy is probably going to feel that. Because uh, uh, Kale McCarr is, without a doubt, uh, the best uh, defenseman out there in the NHL, you could argue. Um, and I don't see that slowing down. Like, <laughs> like, like this, this guy, as an official rookie, got 50 points and then followed that up with 44 and 44 pretty remarkable when when you think about it when you consider that he had one season of ncaa experience and prior to that played in the alberta junior hockey league for three years yeah he didn't go to the whl he didn't play an ounce of ahl hockey not a single ahl game and had like two seasons at umass amherst and that's about it and the final season, he had like forty nine points or something. It's ridiculous. Yep. Um, but but just one of those generational type players that you're not going to find anywhere else. And and again, for Colorado, it's about finding the right pieces and establishing. Okay, what what guys out there could we get that's similar to this guy? And in the case of Colorado, it was goaltending, and it's like yeah, we could get a Darcy Kemper to put in the shoes of Philip Grubauer and I feel like they could get us wins. But you can't find too many Kale McCartans. You can't nope. find too many Gabriel Landeskogs out there for free. Yep. So when you have them, you keep them. And Joe Sackick was wise to hang on to this kid because he's going to be a good one for many, many years. And on top of that, he's going to be, what, 27 when this deal ends? Like, there's still a lot of prime yep. years for him to cash in on. So... This isn't going to be his only big boy contract. He's probably going to sign another one after this. Yeah, yeah. He's he's definitely one of the brightest stars that the NHL has. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I think the other thing that I was going to mention. Oh, I, so I actually looked up what Dougie Hamil- <laughs> how old Dougie Hamilton is. He's 28 years old. Uh, uh, Kel McCarr is 22. So, uh, so that's... Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. And, and, like, Dougie Hamilton's prime years are basically Kale McCart's first two seasons. Right, right, right. Like, right. they're both, like, near a point of game or, like, just over it. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, they ended up uh, drafting uh, Taylor McCarr, his brother, uh, this year yes. in the seventh round. So that just shows how much they mean. Uh, they, they love this guy. Um, all right. So now we go to the top prospects uh, for Colorado. Um and uh, so there, there's kind of like it's kind of twofold because I you could make a case for Bowen Byram. Um, however, Bowen Byram has played a little bit in Colorado, um, but uh, the other guy um, who's in the mix is Alex Newhook. Um, and I think the other reason too is like because we just talked about Kel McCarr, and I feel like Kel McCarr is like going to be competition for Byram. Um, eventually um and it's it's a good problem to have but uh but yeah it, it makes it a little bit unclear of how good byram's going to be if uh, kill mccarr is like taking up all the all the prime space for him 
Um, well, and on top of that, you yeah. also have Sam Gerard in the mix, And Sam Gerard's in the mix, too. Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, I think Alex Newhook um, is definitely our top prospect and probably a, a team, uh, he's in a position of need, which is a center uh, for them. Um, he was another one, kind of like Kel McCarr, where his first, uh, his draft year was in, like, a Canadian hockey league. Um, and then he ends up going to college, and he, like, blows, like, the doors off. And uh, he probably would be, uh, like, a top 10 pick um, if he wasn't, uh, if he, you know, if he played um, or if they did the draft the next year or something like that. But, uh, yeah, he ended up, his freshman year, he had 42 points in 34 games, which is very good. The next year for Boston College, um, he had 12, uh, 16 points in 12 games. Um, he ends up signing his entry-level contract. Um, he plays for the Colorado Eagles, um, and he has nine points in eight games. Uh, five of those were goals. Um, and then he even plays a little bit um, in Colorado in the regular season where he had three assists in six games. And he also plays a little bit in the playoffs too. Um, and he had a goal and an assist in eight games in the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, it, it seems like he's going to be an issue um, or a problem for a lot of teams um, is my point because if you uh, if you have like teams worrying about Nathan McKinnon, Landis Skog, and um, and ranting in on one line, and then yeah you have Nazem Kadri uh, who's pretty scary. Burakovsky has his moments for sure too, but like if you get this guy going, um, like all of a sudden like the the Colorado Avalanche are no longer a one line team. They're, you know, they they can kill you even when Nathan McKinnon's not on the ice or Landis Scott's not on the ice, and um, that's um, that's that's going to be a considerable uh, candidate for uh, Colorado and uh, like an X factor for Colorado for years to come. Um, and um, yeah, it, it should be exciting to see what what he does, and I I think he might be the favorite for the Calder um, if it's not. Zegris or um, what's his face, a uh, Caulfield, but um, but yeah, I, I think it's it's probably Newhook um, is uh, could could I could see him winning the Calder this year. It's tough to say because you don't really know what Trevor Zegris uh, what his role is going to be with the Ducks, and I feel like Cole Caulfield is more likely to after what he did in in the playoffs um, during the Canadians run. Uh, I feel like he's going to get more exposure to the top line roles the top power play units i don't think newark's gonna get that type of exposure but i definitely think a couple of years into his nhl career you will see that and you could see like a 20 to 30 goal scorer easy yeah, for the fair. abs and that's that's definitely good news for them because it seems every single year they keep getting better and every single year they still find a way to draft good talent alex newhook was drafted at a time where the Colorado Avalanche were already making strides in the NHL landscape, already had Kale McCarr, already had an emerging superstar presence in uh, McKinnon and Branton and Landeskog, and they just kept on trucking along and made the league take notice of their talents. And all of a sudden, they just get ne- Alex Newhook, like, off rip. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, how, luck- how, how lucky can he get? Like it, it's it's just crazy how yeah he was a 14th overall pick yeah it's crazy how a guy 
It's just being added into a prospect pool that's already loaded with talents. Sorry, it's 16. Guys like Martin Cow haven't even played that much in the NHL yet. And with the cap crunch, you're probably going to see more of the likes of Alex Newhook and Martin Cow. But it's just incredible to see how the present and the future looks just so mind-bogglingly amazing. Like it, it, your your eyes are just like wide open, just like waiting for these kids to do something, and it's it's really fun to watch. It, it reminds me of the Avs back in the Patrick Waugh days, where yeah. they had basically talent on every single line. Yeah, no, and that's a good point too. It's because like usually these contending teams, they don't have a thriving farm system and you know and that makes sense because you know usually these teams like trade draft picks or they uh, trade prospects um and and they're kind of like trading their future away so that they can or the quality prospects play for now. are in the lineup now because yeah. the cap crunch has already started right but like but like for colorado they kind of were very terrible they also got very lucky in that matthew shane trade um, yep. And they, uh, you know, they made a lot of trades. They they draft well too. Um, they even drafted well this year too. They got Oscar Olison and Sean Barons, who are both going to be pretty good prospects for them too. Um, so, um, so yeah, it's 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 just like they have an embarrassment of riches. Like they're they're good on the pro team. They're also good on the <laughs> on the farm team too. So. Um, it should be they're they're an exciting team to watch for sure. Um, no matter um, what uh, you know, expansion, to, you know, whatever whatever team you're watching. Um, I wonder if the Colorado Eagles have adapted McKinnon's diet. Yeah. Yeah, that would be funny. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we're also going to talk about the 2019. Oh no, sorry, 2020 uh, first round pick. Uh, who went 25th overall for the Colorado Avalanche. Um, and he's also a Halifax Moosehead, too, like uh, McKinnon was. Um, but uh, Justin Barron. Um, and he's a defenseman. Um, but uh, what was interesting about him was uh, the, his draft year, he was injured a lot. But he still put up decent numbers, um, even when he was injured. Um for most of the year. So he had ended up having 19 points in 34 games uh, for Halifax. Um, and then this year he was fully healthy. Um, he was the captain for Halifax. I mean, he ends up putting up 31 points in 33 games. Um, he also gets uh, gets to play a little bit for the Eagles in uh, the AHL for a bit for seven games. I mean, he has four points in, se- in those seven games. Um, he also plays in the in the AHL playoffs a bit, and he has three points in two games there. Um, and he also goes to the World Juniors uh, to assist and seven point in seven games. Um, this is another like one where I feel like like yeah, the twenty twenty draft was kind of a bit of a like was pretty deep, but this could end up being another steal for Colorado. Um, the thing with that makes him a bit of a wild card. And even though he was a first round pick and we just talked about it too, is that like Colorado has Kale McCarr. They have Bowen Byram. Bowen Byram hasn't played a ton, but he should be pretty good. Um, Same with like Sam Gerrard's just getting going. Eric Johnson's good in his own right. Although um, he's getting up there in age. 
Um, and then you have, like, um, you know, they just have a luxury where they always have all these different defensemen. So I don't know where Justin Barron's going to fit into the system um, because you have, like, I don't see, see him, ever, like, as good as Justin Barron has been, I don't see him ever, like, surpassing Kel McCarr or Bone Byram. So, um, so yeah, it should be um, interesting to see um, how he does. But, yeah, it's like, so, like if you think Colorado is done with Bowen Byram or is, like, done on defense with Bowen Byram and Kel McCarr, that's that's not true. It's um, They also have Kel McCarr. I mean, they also have Justin Barron. I can't speak, apparently. And, um, and also Sean Barron's, he could be pretty good, too, although he'll probably be – um, in the NHL in a, a few years, if if um, if he gets if he's still good. <laughs> yeah, and I I, I feel um, the cap crunch as we mentioned before with with the Nathan McKinnon stuff in a couple of years. Um, it could force their hand with what they do with Eric Johnson. So okay, yep. maybe a defensive space clears up there. Devin Again, Chase there's no guarantees. Answer. Even if Justin Barron that's his ticket into the lineup. That doesn't necessarily guarantee that he's going to get top four minutes because you do have Devin Taves in the mix still uh, for uh, another year or so. I think his contract will be winding down, so maybe they part ways with him. But even then, they, they're still pretty loaded on the back end. Right. So um, I think we probably won't see Justin Barron for a while. I would give it at least two years, give him two years in the AHL to fully develop let him play a lot of minutes, keep his confidence going in the right direction, and then in those two years, see where your roster, what your roster looks like, see how your defense shakes up, and then figure out what the heck you're going to do and where he fits in. Because yep. I do think he is capable of playing in the NHL. I don't know if it's on Colorado with the talent that they have and how they're going to evaluate it, how they're going to structure it. Um, but I definitely think he does have an NHL future. Um, hopefully, for the sake of the Avs, it's with them, but um, that's a wait and see. Yeah, that's a good point, too. It's like, even if, like, let's say de- their defense is stacked and they're in good shape, um, they, they could still, like, trade him and, and make, like, a trade deadline mm-hmm. move and, and trade him to a team that needs some defensemen, and um, they could make it... Um, like you know they could use them as a trade bait and and make him that way so so yeah that's definitely possible as well i don't think in in any way that justin Barron is a game changer like kale mccarr is however i do think he's a pretty serviceable defenseman with top four upside at this level yeah and i definitely think uh there's there's a lot to be excited about with this kid yeah yeah that's that's for sure um also, I wanted to mention that uh, in terms of goaltending, I know we kind of talked about that a little bit, but Justice Anunin is still in the system. We talked about him the last year for our prospect stuff. But, yeah. Um, so, like, in terms of goal, they're kind of set for that. Um, and then um, there's another guy I wanted to mention. Oh, Alex Bucage, I thought um, should deserve some mention as well. I think he, he could be a serviceable guy for them eventually. Um also, to uh, pick up from our Calgary talk, uh, the uh, they protected uh, Rasmus Anderson, Noah Hannafin, and Christopher Tanev. So you were correct; those were the ah. three defensemen they picked. But you, still, you would you would think that they like 
are you saying like I can understand Rasmus Anderson and Noah Hannafin, but like are they saying that they'd rather have Tanev than Mark Giordano? That, that seems kind of crazy. Um, I think if Giordano was thirty-two years old, they would have protected Giordano. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I would be willing to to give up a guy like Tanev with still some prime years left over a guy that in a couple of years could just retire anyway. Right. So like I, I get I get why they did it, but it's it's still a tough blow because obviously Mark Giordano meant a lot to that team, to that locker room, to that city. And that's a that's a big leadership hole to fill. But in terms of like roster holes, I think they probably could have created more holes if they protected Giordano and lost someone else. Yeah. That's yeah, that's a good. So point. the 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 age played a I think the age played a major major factor. I don't know for sure, but if I'm a betting man, I would say it did. So that's just, either way, it's still like a horrible thing to treat your captain like that. Yeah. But like you could at least get. I feel like they if they decided to trade him, they probably could have gotten something for. It. On the bright side, Marcio Giordano joked that it was the first time he'd ever been drafted. Yeah, I know. I saw and that. He's nearing forty right now, so. <laughs> It gave him a moment uh, that he'll never forget. He got sure. drafted by an NHL team. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Maybe that's all they need. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, so that about does it for us here. Um, our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, yeah. I uh, and uh, oh, and uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes, wherever else you get your podcasts. I'm Brett Tubuff. I'm Steve Ellswick. We'll continue our uh, off-season breakdown in the next edition, episode 283 of the Lace Mount Podcast.